Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From Riverwalk Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Cube, 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 Cube. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, first of all, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Yeah, you too. And to listeners, all of you, we hope you have a blessed and fruitful holiday season and are able to spend some time with people, your friends, your family, people you love and care about. But speaking of gift giving and merriment, the ultimate gift giver in the Age of Sigmar has a new battle tone. Yeah, I brought gifts. Yes. <laughs> we are going to review the Megakin of Nurgle battle tome this episode, everybody. Other than that, I think that's it, Brendan. It's going to be a lot. Pretty straightforward. It's a lot of heroes, a couple of <laughs> not hero units. So if you really like Hero War Scrolls, this is your book. It was the oldest 2.0 book. It finally got a rewrite, much anticipated and just like what we saw with the Stormcasts and the Orc Warclans, a large indicator of what 3.0 books are going to be like sure. uh, going forward. Absolutely. So with that, let's just dive right into Whispers from the Warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, first thing, we've done this the last couple of years, we're going to have a gift exchange. Yeah. I'd like to start by giving my gifts to you. And these were in the spirit of the last few episodes. And recently, you've been talking about trying different things. Sure. With your hobby. Yeah. These two gifts are to encourage you to try some different things. Okay. Okay. So this is I'm a little nervous. <laughs> oh, I've got some heft to them. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So... The most fun part of opening presents is figuring out how to do it in <laughs> the most productive way possible. Just pretend you're a little kid and rip it all apart. Oh, see, I was never a a big, like, rip them open, present opener. It was always, you know, largely very neat. Oh, okay. All Ooh. right. Okay. Army painter. Is this metallics? Colored metallics. Colored metallics. Ooh. I was thinking specifically with your Hedonites... This might be a really fun way to add some sparkle and pop to Hood's your... Hood's Fairy Dust, a brand new way of painting metallic paints. Huh. Oh, it's an effect. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. And then I've got the larger of the two. This one's got like a little add-on on the top there. Yeah, airbrush medium. Ooh. The War Paint Star. War Paints Air. <laughs> Reading is hard. Uh... <laughs> starter set for army painter and there's a airbrush medium mm-hmm cool I saw a few videos of this and it was very highly rated by a lot of people and I just thought that I know you've got that airbrush has been sitting there but I was hoping that if I, I get I've you used some it pay- like three times uh, technology <laughs> I'm afraid of technology it's well I was hoping that this might encourage you to maybe sign up for a class or do something else since you would have all the paints you need to maybe try that and yeah and- Keith has tried to teach me a couple times I'll have to see if he'll try and teach me one more time cool yeah thank you Dan yeah sure Speaking of new army painter stuff, I was looking at getting the speed paints from army oh. painter to see just to see oh, the difference. Yeah. I can't um, wait between them and contrast. Cool. Yeah. Add that to the collection. And so Dan, number one, I hope these are the right size, and if not, I'll order the right size for you. Brendan, um, I can't breathe. 
<laughs> no, I don't think I was that far off. Also in the context of some things we've been talking about recently, your football team has done uh, some one singular very important bit of winning, but I recognize that like you don't really have any gear from your alma mater. Oh, Brendan, that is so cool, man. It's a, it's a sweatshirt mm-hmm. with Navy on it. Yeah, this is awesome. This is from Homefield Apparel. This is a website that sells primarily college football. Well, it's not just football, but you know, college sports gear. But they have license to some of the older. So they so they have license to some of the older logos and designs oh, that a yes. lot of other places don't oh, have. This one's ancient. And so exactly when I I was looking for logos that might have been from when you actually attended the academy. Yes, this is exactly right. So mm. the other thing, listeners, is a T-shirt with the big navy N and then build a goat on it. So that is freaking cool, man. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. Thank you, man. That's very thoughtful. Yeah, no problem. I got them with what I thought I remembered was your size, and if it's not, then it's all good. Don't um, worry about it. And if it's too small, then it gives me motivation to lose some freaking weight. Fair enough. If nothing else. But thank you. That's really thoughtful. Yeah. And it's nice because you got me something for winter and for summer, <laughs> which is great. That's wonderful, man. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So with that, let us move on and talk about our hobby. Brendan, what have you been putting out out of your factory? Yeah. So I've been traveling the last week or so for work. Part of my time off, I didn't actually get anything done, but the thing I've been doing the most of is I was painting one singular slick blade seeker. It's on my Twitter page. Okay. You know, as I kind of talked about in the last episode, I was interested in, you know, painting some of the stuff I had won. I had ordered some Slanesh stuff and I was oh, going to get the Battle Force box really to try and get it to match the, or, or at least fit in the same visual vein as the stuff that our friend Nick McKenna painted. Oh yeah, this you know, is... For my demons. Yeah. So I... It just Very gave nice. Dan the picture of it. Nice. I think it is in that same vein. It is. I mean, um, I can literally see his gabos with that yellow and green kind of yeah. motif. Absolutely. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Great. The orange brights, you know, the little bit of purple in there. My purple isn't as bright as his purple, but I don't think that's important at this point. Yeah. And then I've just been kind of like putting some contrast paint on some of like my cruel boys. And I started working on Bellacore the other day. Mm. Just getting some colors down, just kind of following whatever my interest of the moment is. Okay. There's nothing really that's pulling super hard on my attention, so I just chase whatever I feel when I'm feeling it. So Great. it's very simple, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. It's your hobby, your way, mm-hmm. and that's what matters. Yeah. Painted up some wolves, I think. I did. I got 10 more wolves done, and I really like this color scheme as opposed to the original one I did on my first 10, which was like a GW, really, really dark kind of a thing. And, and there's some dry brushing in it, which was great. I used some combination of colors to get some necrotic look on the flesh. And yeah, I'm really happy with the way it came out and the way it based and everything else. And the other thing I worked on was... I'm going to talk about a little later. I had played a new board game that came out from Kickstarter with a former student mm. and a friend. And so we were talking and I said, so you're looking forward to paint these figs that come with it. And she goes, well, I don't know. I was, and I said, would you mind if I gave it? And she's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. I painted up the, there's like a little robot and there's four good size. I guess they're two or three inches tall, pretty big figs for the players to use. And I really, really enjoyed doing that. I got to use some of my metallic paints. And the robot was really fun because I got to paint 
weird eyes and I got to actually <laughs> do some scratches and damage on the on her hull and stuff like that. That was a really fun little project. But now that that is over, that took me, I don't know, four or five days to get those done. I'm going to go back and start knocking out my wolves 10 at a time. Now that I have that paint scheme, you know how important that is when you're yeah. painting multiples of the same if, model. Especially if you're going to be doing it for a while. Yeah. And I've still got 50 to go. So. Just, just a few. Yeah. So that's really been my hobby. I did turn some of my NDF stuff over to Heath to do his airbrush magic. And I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of great stuff he does with those. The other thing I wanted to talk about real quick with hobby is I think a lot of people have seen my drog model Mm -hmm. to use with my night honk because they do need that punchiness. And it worked out pretty well. That was on your suggestion many, many months ago. The reason that that model came out the way it did was a Duncan Rhodes tutorial on his actual uh, website because I'm part of that little painting academy thing he has. Timely enough, he just came out with a Karazai Big Dragon tutorial. No brainer from a business perspective. Absolutely. People want to know how to paint their dragons. (laughs) So I'm really looking forward to looking at it first because that's what I did with the giant and then kind of seeing how that goes. But it's really great motivation to just take a break from the wolves. (laughs) Maybe after 30 or 40, I'll stop and paint that. Even if I never use it, I just want to see it painted and use it as a display piece and stuff. So that was really kind of fortuitous that he ended up with that tutorial so quickly. Nice. So that's it for my hobby. I do have some sad hobby news to share with some people. And I think several of our friends and probably some listeners have used competition minis for their for some hobby supplies. I know I was using them for tufts to use on my bases and stuff a lot and some other things. Yeah, gosh, but, I was getting an order from them like every week, oh, like when COVID started yeah. through like all of 2020 and a little into 2021. So recently I tried to order from them and their website wasn't working. I called, there was nothing on the thing. So I sent them a message, a Facebook message, mm-hmm. and I exchanged several messages with them. I actually got in a really nice conversation with the owners. They've closed their doors for good. Oh. They have decided to retire. So the store was actually sold off. You know, somebody will do something with that. But uh, I was happy for them, you know, having Cindy just having retired and us being both retired now. We kind of exchanged that appreciation of, of yeah. retirement. We know what you're saying there. <laughs> sad news, but I'm really happy for them that they've made well, that it, choice. It's and, sad news for a good reason. Yes, right? absolutely. It's, it's not that they went out of business. They just decided to move on. And that, that's great stuff. The winter fact is live and that will certainly be our content. Most of our content, not all of it, but most of our content for next episode, for sure. Mm-hmm. We have a lot to say. We were just having a conversation before the show and we talked a lot in just 10 minutes about stuff. There's a lot packed in there. It's a lot of stuff in a very little bit of space. Yes. They introduced a new format, the battle scroll, yes. which is condensing the larger changes mm-hmm. without getting into the specifics of it because that would rob us from our next yeah. show, right? They had a willingness to update some of the rules they had a willingness to update some of the war scrolls that are out there and Mm -hmm. obviously some of the points very interesting format now there were some errata faq updates that went along with it yeah they're about what eight to ten i think something like that for different uh, but the majority of the changes that are meaningful and impactful were in the battle scroll and And i like that going forward did you like the part where they actually broke down by Grand Alliance, how sets rules. I think that was kind of neat. As a synopsis, yeah. Yeah, that was really nice. So anyway, we'll talk about that next episode, but it's great that that did come out. We were all waiting for it to drop, and here it is. We got it. Well, and it came out on the first day of winter. So, you know. (laughs) Hey, perfect. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. (laughs) The winter solstice. It's the winter FAQ. came out on the first day of winter. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) 
Strange. Yeah. Mm. Okay. We got, obviously, Father Nurgle is here, and his buddies are here in time for Christmas. And they got a Vanguard box, which I thought was pretty cool. It looked like the models would be certainly usable it, yeah, it basically combines the two start collecting boxes that, that there were previously, for the most part. You know, as so we're going to get into the book, I don't think there's a single bad war scroll in the battle tome in a vacuum. Sure. Right? There are definitely some that are less good than others, but yeah. I think everything has a role and fits yes. a role. And everything you would get in that Vanguard box, you can meaningfully apply to an army list. Absolutely. So that was great to see. It's not like the start collecting Beast Claw Raiders where... <laughs> <laughs> you end up with more Mornfangs than God. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, there's so many in there. And then he wants Mornfangs. We also got a couple of like mini boxes. We got the Thunderstrike Command and the Cruel Boys Boss Crew mm-hmm. for Stormcast and for the ba- Cruel Boys. Yeah, basically the stuff that like you can't get in any of the other sets of boxes. There right. aren't individually released at this point, but you know. Hey, here, buy all this stuff yeah. together. There you go. And then the four Sigmar battle boxes. We've talked about those already, yep. but they, they're all out there. All that stuff's ready to go. Moving on from models and stuff, we saw the trailer for Space Marine 2, the video game. I didn't realize it had been 10 years since that came out originally. It's been a, a long time. And it was really cool because I saw a video of this pub where there were literally like hundreds of people and they had this giant screen and they were showing it. When Titus took his helmet off at the end, the place just erupted. It sounded like somebody had scored a goal in a, a football game or okay. a soccer game. Oh, so Dan, you got got by the internet. That that's not that's not real. Okay, okay, yeah, that is actually a pub watching a soccer game. Okay, and, and they put the yes. Oh, that is so freaking cool that they did that. I don't feel bad about being got. I'm just telling you. <laughs> no, it, that's just so great. It was great because we know that he's crossed the. Primaris Rubicon, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at his armor, I think the best part for me when is you rip the head off of that Tyranid warrior. That was just like, oh my god, that's awesome. I think it'll be fun. I remember playing it a few times and getting through it. You know, eventually, I love the storyline. I loved how it ended uh, with the Inquisition being involved and stuff. And it was just great story as well as a fun game to play. That's cool that it's yeah. coming around. I want to talk about a couple of rumors with you of stuff coming out. Sure. Now. Bone Reapers. Let's talk about that. The reason I talk about Bone Reapers coming out relatively soon is because they had one of those things where they show the little, you know, black silhouettes of mm. different models. That one model looked a lot like there were some visual indicators that an archer that would have been a Bone Reaper archer. Sure. Yeah. It looked a lot like that. I've also heard from some pretty big publishers, you know, in terms of content that a lot of people think Night Haunt is relatively soon on the horizon. To me, that's kind of exciting, obviously. Mm-hmm. And we had other things with the FAQ. We'll talk about that next time. But do you think either one or both of those things are valid or? Yeah. So in terms of what we have to this point, right, we have an order army, we have a destruction army, we have a chaos army, you know, so reasonably, we would expect a death army to be soon-ish. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at the armies in death that would be most eligible for an update, Soulblight Gravelords, not on the radar. They just got a White Dwarf update number one. The book just came out in May. And it was clearly written for 3.0, yes. like when you look at the content of it. Gives you Flesh Eater Courts, Bone Reapers, and Night Haunt. I just don't see Flesh Eater Courts on the horizon. It's nothing personal to the army book of Flesh Eater Courts, but... 
what do they need, need, mm-hmm. need, need updating on? Right. You know, they have the updates from late, mid to late 2.0. You have Activation Wars items. You have Holy Within bubbles, right? You have a lot of these things that make it exist. Obviously, they don't love the shooting meta of things, but that's not the point. Bone Reapers, that was late 2019 mm-hmm. when that book came out. But their mechanics no longer really fit in what mm-hmm. the game is currently. The thing that made them unique, the thing that made them special is really no longer unique or special. Right. Everybody has it. They just have it differently. Sure. I could see that where they take an opportunity to reconfigure the way they operate a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, if there's some models that were in the pipeline, you know, because it is a totally new faction, having a new kit or two is, you know, they're going to sell a ton of them. Just a load of them. The other one is Night Haunt, which, you know, is now tied for second oldest 2.0 book. I mean, it was one of the two armies that came out with the second edition set when it was... Right. Yeah. The only 2.0 book right now that's older than them is Deepkin. Yep. They're tied for second with Stormcast. Well, no, Stormcast came out. They are yeah. second. Yeah. From a longevity standpoint, like they're missing a number of pieces. The thing that has really helped them as of late and really helped is a loose term, right? Is the Broken Realms. Sure. Sub-factions and, yep. and items that they got through that. Very which, useful. Which has helped, but oh, yeah. I think we can speak to the fact that there's still a gap between oh, absolutely. where they are currently and where they can need to go. Now, I think the FAQ helps them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty big. But we'll talk about that next next episode. <laughs> we keep saying that and we yeah. will. We promise we will. The other thing, Brent, is so your that's kind of your take. You know, when they showed that one possible Bone Reaper archer or whatever, they could come out with that as an individual model, you know, or a model or two to release for Bone Reapers. They don't need to come out with a whole new book. But with Night Haunt, I agree with you that they need they, they need a book. They need to be brought into third edition. And some of the older previews, the the rumor engine models that we've gotten, not here just in the 24 or 25 pictures of Sigmas or whatever it is. <laughs> right. There are a couple where the metalwork and iconography in it mirrors very closely some of the stuff that you have on the Black Coach and that you have mm-hmm. on the, the named characters in the Night Haunt faction. Sure. So that really wouldn't surprise me if that was the thing that was okay. next up. Now, we know January is going to be 40K busy because we have custodians, we have Gene, Gene Steeler cults. So maybe at the end of the month where whatever, we end can of the fit month, that February, in. February, you know, yeah, fit it be in. Be happy to see it. I know you'd be happy to I'd see it. I'd be thrilled. <laughs> the Night Haunt army I've painted that has never played in a game other than somebody saying hey can you bring dan's army list so i can just kind of see what it does and i went yeah sure that's fine Uh, there we go all right cool i just wanted to touch on that because it's been kind of active i wanted to talk about white dwarf updates which i got very exciting well like them a lot yeah and I wanted to address the fact that there's some listeners who emailed me Mm -hmm. and they just said dan why are you guys not covering the white dwarf updates i think you know they're good. They're useful. If you want them, they're there. And I don't know if it's worth really taking the time to discuss them. I suppose we could. Maybe next time we can kind of gather them all up and go through them. That might be something else to do. For the most part, what it's been has been a new battalion or mm-hmm. two. New grand strategies that you look at and you go, fine, whatever. I'm still taking the regular ones. Mm-hmm. And some new battle tactics that are really only valuable to that faction player and where it's just more tools in the toolbox for that player and some of them you look at and you just go just like you know we've looked at some of the ones in the in the book we just go yeah the generic ones are more achievable they're more reliable things like that the soul blight one was is the first one here to my knowledge where there are 
meaningful rules. Well, updates. there's allegiance abilities in that one too, yeah. which is army wide. It's mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, I think that's been the decision why we haven't addressed it very much. Mm-hmm. In that it's three pages of rules, battalions that may or may not change your army composition, mm-hmm. and unless you were giants, typically not. <laughs> right. Grand strategies, which you may or may not consider. Looking at them, typically not. And battle tactics, which you may or may not consider. And having played some games with them at my disposal, you're going, oh, I think I have a battle tactic that may be applicable in this instance. <laughs> you look at it and you went, no. I think this generic one's better. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's not to disparage the people who have been playing those armies specifically, but up until this Soulblight one, and it's not a notion of favoritism, but this is the first one that includes updates to battle traits. Yes, And so I think we are here going to talk about that one where, you know, you got an update to Legion of Blood specifically where Mm -hmm. your vampires can now to be, you know, martial prowess or magical prowess where you gain benefits to combat Mm -hmm. or benefits to magic. Do I think either of those things specifically drive somebody to play Legion of Blood? No. When you compare to what Knight does, what Virkos does, what Castellai does... They're sitting kind of very comfortably in fourth. But if you take Legion of Blood, it gives you another tool. Exactly, yes. It's a cool thing you get to do with your vampire heroes. And they have different tiers based on if you're on a zombie dragon or not, which I really like, you know, especially when you consider like, you know, palanquins and Mm -hmm. coven thrones. Yeah. I think that's very interesting. It gives you more reason to actually take multiple foot vampires if you wanted. Sure. Uh, But to me, the more impactful one is the battle trait for the whole of Soulblight Gravelords, where if you fight with a non-mounted hero, or not a non-not-a-monster hero, mm-hmm. you can pick a summonable unit, wholly within 12 inches, to fight immediately after right. that hero. Is it going to change your army list building? Probably not, because none of the non-monster foot heroes outside of Radicar are any version of anything where you really kind of want them in combat. Yeah. They do some damage, they're cool, right? But if it's- my vampire's fighting... I better have picked that combat, right? Like that's, (laughs) it's a way to get a little bit extra damage. It's a way to get, you know, an activation sequence going in a slightly different order. Yeah. Yeah, It's cool. It's neat. It's something that it's important to know, Mm -hmm. but ultimately, you know, are we going to spend whatever time on it? Yeah. Yeah. I think the answer to that is typically no. Like you got some new grand. Oh, and you got mount traits. Yep. What we're saying then is we think that they're valuable Mm -hmm. for your specific faction. If you've got an update, take a look. That's fine. You know, go for it. And in the larger context of what it is that we're trying to do with the show, where we're trying to mm-hmm. aim an educational context of Battle Tome reviews, mm-hmm. if you listen to what it is that we talk about, you know, in the Soulblight show, and obviously with the added context of 3.0, you should be able to theoretically take what it is that we talked about, what it is that we explained, mm-hmm. look at these add-ons and go, okay. That's where that fits. This is what this is. That's where this is. This is why this is good. This is why this isn't. Yeah. We're never just going to be like, rule bad. Good luck. (laughs) Of course not. If we think something doesn't work, if something is not very good, we're going to tell you why. If we think something is good, we're going to tell you why to fit into the context of these things. The Legion of Blood rule. Yeah. Fine. Increases your damage. Increases some reliability. I really like the casting one. Mm -hmm. The mount traits were just kind of... Okay. Whatever. It's an extra thing. Yeah. It's another thing. It's something that brings you in line with some of the other books. None of it is so amazing that it tips you over into being like, everybody drop everything. We're playing Soulblight now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It doesn't shift the meta at all. Yeah. Not from my perspective. And in the context of the other White Dwarf ones, the only one that in my mind had any real meaningful impact 
was the Sons of Bayonet Sons, one yep. because they actually got battalions that turned them into one drops, and that was pretty scary. Sure. So that's why we don't address them. If we come across ones that are important, one, Dan and I would be talking about it, which is <laughs> one of the markers that we use for what we want to talk about on the show. Yeah. Is if, you know, if we're calling each other, if we're exchanging text messages, you know, if it's something that we're talking about a lot, we know that we want to talk about it in recorded format because yeah, I'm sure listener. some of you guys are talking about it too. But we just really don't talk about White Dwarf updates for no, the most part. That's a good metric to decide mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about it or not. So good. I thought that was worthwhile. And thank you for those who sent emails. And hopefully that answers your question. All right, Brendan, let's move on to games played mm-hmm. other than Sigmar to start. So I got to actually play two non-Sigmar games. I actually got a game of Infinity Code 1 in with our friend Heath. Awesome. Uh, out at Game Universe, which was great. We actually got one, two, I think we got th- three games in. Three or four games. I can't even remember now. This couple of them went so quick. <laughs> and the fun thing was we only used like three or four figs in each game. Nice. Because it was orientation. I mean, I was a little bit more familiar just because I played Infinity years ago. This is just you know kind of the kill team version of it but a lot of the mechanics were really cool there was one game where literally we had two of our lieutenants were just shooting each other and it was doing nothing absolutely just pinging off the armor that we had and stuff it was hilarious the rest of our figs were kind of moving around and positioning and these two were just wailing away at each other and it was just funny as heck but we had a good time with that and then the other thing i got to play say last week same thing was that game i talked about painting models for it's called unsettled and it is a kind of your ship is damaged, severely damaged, and you have to crash land on an unknown planet. And they actually, in the Kickstarter, have like four different planets you can go to and different challenge levels on each one. And it's not so much that you're fighting aliens. It's a puzzle is what it is, Mm. really a puzzle. And you have to figure out what's the most efficient way. It's very much an efficiency-based game. Most efficient way to meet your objectives and then get back to your ship and be able to take off. It was really, really fun. And I know we're going to play it again because I played it with a former student and her friend. And I know she had not paint up the models, <laughs> the tokens and stuff. Yeah, fun. So I got to do that and really had a good time with it. Uh, and it's neat that, you know, we're probably going to end up playing the one planet was the easiest one three or four times before we get through it because we didn't quite win this first time sure we're and we were really learning while we were playing which was kind of fun too and then i looked at a video afterwards and we did pretty good i mean there's only one or two rules we kind of missed uh, one of them was kind of big though but um <laughs> other than that <laughs> we might have actually won if we'd done it a different way so those are the two things i played not sigmar how about you started our evil playthrough of Wasteland 3. Yes, we, we finished the spreadsheet up. we got started we're a couple of sessions in we were joking we were kind of defining how it is that we wanted to, you know, set the definition on, on how to approach this. In our first playthrough, we were regularly asking the question, what's the worst that could happen? And we were asking it from the perspective of, I mean, really how bad could whatever it is that we're <laughs> signing up for be? And we said, well, what if we asked that same question, but in the different context of truly what's the worst thing we could do mm. here and now? You know, every conversation we have, we try and phrase it in the meanest light possible. Mm. We want to truly be evil characters. Yeah. Whenever we're making these decisions, it's not even just like, you know, what's the most chaotic thing that we can do? You know, sometimes it's like, what's the most evil outcome for this interaction? You know, Brendan, that's an interesting way to play as I think about it, because you've just freed yourself from all moral constraints Mm -hmm. is what you've done. And just about every game you ever play, you have that still in your mind that you pose that on yourself. We do have a a rail in that, you know, like 
there's some notion of good that is not being applied, right? You sure. know, where there are, you know, because this, this is a fundamentally dark game. Oh, yeah. Very um, much so. You know, where even in the first playthrough when we were doing, you know, we were just kind of doing like, you know, just playing this game and we've got our characters and we're just making the decisions that probably make. There's some things where we're like, that was pretty messed up. Like, <laughs> that was... <laughs> there's been a couple instances where, you know, like we look at the character and we're like, Oh, we should hire this person mm. because the most evil thing that we could do is rope this person into supporting the horrible things that we're going to be accomplishing. <laughs> There's some certainly very dark and adult elements in this game. Where mm. there, there was something that we were getting into. We were in that decision making. And my question, you know, the other night to my friend was, is this too evil? Like, is this thing that we're about to do? Like, <laughs> Well, thank God you asked the question. <laughs> right, is, is this going to like it is? I was like, I was like, I know we're doing the evil playthrough, but what, what we're proposing here seems like a little much. And then when we went to go make the action, one of our characters who is, he's not good aligned, he's like neutral mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And these characters will stop you, you know, if you're going to do something that is outside of kind of like, if you want to have them in their party, mm-hmm. you know, you have to fit some level of framework. And sure. he was like, whoa. Too evil, and we were like, okay. I think we found the sale. He's our firewall, is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, on, on the most evil of things, he is our firewall of, okay, this is a bridge too far. Okay, fair enough. So, like, I think there is more evil that we could be accomplishing, probably throughout the course of this, but yeah, I can't remember like what fun. it was that he proposed, where I was just like... I don't know, man. That seems like a little that's much. Great. That's like the games I've been getting up to. Have you been able to get any short Sigmar games in or anything? No, I haven't been able to. I've got some time off here from work. I was hoping to try and get a game against Maggotkin in against somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I put some models on the table myself to just kind of see some of the interaction. But mm-hmm. you know, I've said it before on the show and to you that I don't necessarily like doing that very much in terms of proving an idea because mm. it's the idea I already had and I'm likely just going to end You're up. You're so validating. Exactly. Than, and that's yeah. not exactly good science. Okay. All right. So that's games played. Events. I have been kind of struggling whether to go to Midwinter. I talked about in Milwaukee or Freecon, which is the historical game thing down in Freeport, down mm-hmm. in Illinois. And I kept looking at the Midwinter catalog and it was just overwhelming going, I just, it was almost analysis paralysis to try to figure it out. So I finally decided I am going to go to FreeCon, which is actually on a Friday and Saturday, interestingly enough, in the middle of January. So I'm going to make the drive down and Ike, who's running it, has just got this really nice list of historical board games that we're going to play. It sounds like it'll be a fun couple days. So I'm looking forward to that. The catalog release for Adepticon is just a few days away. Yep. By the time this gets released, hopefully most people will be able to look it over. And the signups are still on January 11th that we know. Holy, is there any other Adepticon news? I don't think so. I think that's really it. Catalog yeah. and signups. Yep. Okay. Holy Wars is middle of February still. Yep. And that's on the horizon. Anything else? I don't think there's any major stuff. Not two dayers that are coming up, to no. my knowledge. And if you are, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're just not aware. Okay, cool. So, yeah. All right, then that's it. Yeah. That was a good whispers. Lots to talk about. And now we're going to go and receive our gifts. From our yeah, friend, the other kinds of gifts. Our favorite grandfather. All right, we'll be right back with Magikin of Nurgle Battle Tome Review. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're... We're a time bomb. Brendan, it is time to review the Maggot Kin of Nurgle Battletown, my friend. Yeah, and, and 
it's largely pretty familiar in mm -hmm. terms of a lot of what it is that we're going to talk about. If you were a player of the old Magakin of Nurgle book, mm -hmm. a lot of this is going to be very familiar. Yes. The army, though, is fundamentally different. As kind of weird as those two statements are going to be to say, they do very similar things as they did before, but the way the army plays... It's going to be very different. And some of the mechanics, as you said, are similar. Like the wheel is similar, but it's very different than it was before. Right. You still have it as a tool, but you're not going to use it the same way. Your summoning is similar, but it's very different than from what it was <laughs> right. before. Right. That's a good point. Let's start with the easy one, and I'll let you t go tackle the tough one. So we do have sub-factions. We have six of them. We have three demon and three mortal. And I think one of the things that we're going to find when we look through this book is it is a very distinct book in terms of those two types of play, demons or mortals. And the synergies between the two, this is just my perspective. That's limited. Very limited. So I think it almost incentivizes you to decide to play one way or the other. Not that you can't have, you know, you take a mortal list, you can't take some play bearers, but you're much more incentivized to play them as one or the other mm. at this point. That's pretty reasonable. One of the things that's really important, and it starts here in this section where it talks about sub-factions, mm -hmm. is things are keyword to Maggotkin of Nurgle. I just love that. Really love that they've done this. I hope that when, you know, I hope they carry that over so that there is a Hedonites keyword and, you know, everything is keyworded Hedonites or Blades or whatever else. And that so, would be great. So the Hedonites book is actually works that way okay, already. Okay, perfect. And I just think that's great because, you know, I always have an issue with having to use units from other battle tomes to make yours effective. Yeah. And so this really limits the effectiveness of those other units now. And I like that because it is now a Magakin battle tome and it's going to be a Magakin army. And I'm of two minds of this. Okay. The first of which I'm very happy with because it saves you from the Grimgast Reaper problem. <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar, in 2018, the Legions of Nagash battle tome came out. And in the mm -hmm. summer of 2018, the Nighthaunt battle tome came out mm -hmm. where some models, some war scrolls could be played in legions without being allies. Grimgas Reapers was one of those units. Grimgas Reapers were fundamentally way better in legions than they were in Night Haunt. Mm -hmm. What do you do about that? Yeah. Do you increase the points and make a unit that wasn't a problem in Night Haunt balanced in, in a book that isn't even Night Haunt? By locking it behind the wall here, you don't have to deal with that problem anymore, right? Yes. You've, you've created a barrier to entry where you can say, yes, the inclusion of this unit with this keyword is intentional, or no, it is not. Okay. The problem I have with that is you don't get to do all the fun stuff. Oh, sure. Right? You know, like yeah. marking Slaves to Darkness units, Nurgle, they don't get anything really by being Nurgle other than you're playing a thematic army. Right. Or Beastmen could do some fun stuff. Yeah. yeah. I had a very fun Nurgle yep. Beastmen list where... You know, everybody went zoom and... <laughs> yeah, when they had that, yeah. So I think my positive outlook on this is better than the, I just want more fun toys to sure. do silly things, but becomes way more difficult to balance. I think having that gatekeeper of intentionality is more important than, you know, look... Green Warriors. Uh, <laughs> sure. Okay, so. good. Yeah, good points. All right. Let's move on to the new, and this is brand new, mechanic called Diseased. Mm -hmm. And I really, really like this. Obviously, from a narrative perspective, this is perfect for this army. But why don't you talk us through the mechanics of how this thing works? Yeah, this is a rule that 
all of your Maggotkin of Nurgle keyworded units have when you're playing in a Maggotkin of Nurgle army. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movement phase and at the end of the combat phase, give one disease point to each enemy unit that is within three inches of any friendly Maggotkin of Nurgle units. A unit can have a maximum of seven disease points at any one time. It cannot be given any more until the number of disease points it has is reduced to less than seven. Seven is, of course, Nurgle's number. That's why That's the it's, maximum. It's seven. Now, just to clarify, that is either yours or your opponent's movement phase. Correct. So that is really four times per battle round is well, the way you well, look at it. There's even more, and we're going to get into that. So okay. looking at it right now, you would generate up to two in... Your turn. Mm -hmm. The movement phase, combat phase. Okay? All right. At the start of the battle shock phase, for each disease point that an enemy unit has, you must make one dice roll called the disease roll. For each four up, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. At the end of the battle shock phase, reduce the number of disease points the enemy has to one. And it'll keep rolling over as one as long as it's infected. Now, you're saying, but Brendan, what you just told me only gets me two. How do I get to seven? Oh, yeah. Well, there are other ways, but the way that you're most likely to get to seven is the next paragraph of this set <laughs> yes. of rules. So all of your Maggotkin of Nurgle units have diseased weapons. For the for melee and missile weapons, Correct. Both. Okay, every, both. Every profile is diseased. Okay. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a missile weapon or melee weapon by a friendly Maggotkin of Nurgle model is a six, that attack inflicts one disease point on the target unit in addition to any damage it inflicts. So that's going to be your easiest way to get to mm -hmm. seven, because as we're going to talk about in some of these War Scrolls, some of these models have a lot of attacks. Oh, this is so it's weight of dice, really, that drives you to that seven relatively easy in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. And your maximum, right, across all of this is 10 player turns mm -hmm. is an allocation of 70. Now, remember, this is maximums. Right. 70 disease points on four ups is going to be 35 mortal wounds. <laughs> Again, that's maximum. Right. You can do as few as zero. But when you talk about realistic averages, you're probably going to do somewhere between one and four every player turn, mm -hmm. uh, assuming that you're engaged with your opponent. And it's going to be fewer at the very in the very first turn, and it's going to be fewer in the very last turn. But in battle rounds two through four, you should be looking to do a good bit of damage in both your turn and your opponent's turn. And this is mortal wound damage. Right. Yeah. And it's just going to be widespread across the board in addition to just damage just right. pulling stuff off the board doing damage knocking it out grinding the game out now you can heal disease points when a player uses an ability that allows them to heal any wounds that have been allocated to a unit for each wound that they are allowed to heal they can instead remove one disease point from that unit so those are your disease rules interactions and some of this is going to make a little bit more sense when we talk about the war scrolls there's some magic that allows you to add disease points as well there are some abilities that allow you to add disease points as well but I think when you see that the whole army, when sixes to hit do something, you're going to see that there's not going to be a lot of sixes to hit abilities <laughs> right. in the army. Because as we know, in 3.0, you can't have two abilities trigger at the same time. You'd have to pick and choose. Obviously, right. if you're playing this book, they're going to incentivize you. Every six matters. So your abilities are going to trigger on something else. Sure. The next thing we have is Legions of Chaos. And this is for coalition units. It says a Magikin of Nurgle army can include coalition units as follows. Two in every four units in your army can be a coalition unit from the Slaves of Darkness faction that has the Mark of Chaos keyword. Mm -hmm. Those units must be given the Nurgle Mark of Chaos. It makes sense. So two of every four can be Slaves of Darkness Nurgle units. Now, as we spoke earlier, they will not benefit from Magikin of Nurgle rules. 
things that Correct. affect mega kind of Nurgle units. Okay, so they will not have the disease rule. Even though they are Nurgle or pledged to Nurgle, right. they won't have that. Okay. The other thing is one in every four can be from the Skaven faction that has the clan's pestilence keyword. That makes perfect sense. That's who they are. And then one in every four can be a coalition unit from the Beasts of Chaos. We just talked about them. That does not have the Zinch keyword because Papa Nurgle and Zinch do not get along. <laughs> they never have in the lore otherwise. Those units gave the Nurgle keywords. So Skaven, Beasts, and Slaves can all be coalition units. Yeah. Coalition units are ignored when determining if the units in the army are from a single faction, Coalition units cannot be generals. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's move on. And this is a big change here. Mm -hmm. Huge change. Disgusting Resilient now comes off of the War Scrolls. And it goes into the Allegiance abilities. Your whole army, friendly Magikin of Nurgle models, have a ward save of 5+. This is Demon and Mortals now, which is huge. As long as you have the keyword, you get a 5 up. Mm Mm-hmm. In addition, at the start of your hero phase, you can heal one wound (laughs) allocated to each friendly Magikin of Nurgle model. God. That's really nice. You know, for any of for these... For multiple units, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. But what you're going to find in this book is there's not a single one-wound model in this battle tone. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert on Plague Bears. Yeah. <laughs> um, however, you also have the Locus of Fecundity, which is, you know, they're loci in all of the Chaos God books that do specific things. Okay. The following friendly units are each uh, loci of Fecundity... The Great Unclean One keyword, Horticulus Slimex, the Glotkin, and Festus the Leech Lord. The Disgustingly Resilient Battle Trait heals D3 wounds allocated to a model instead of one if that model's unit is within 14 inches of any loci of fecundity. Okay. And that includes those four, obviously. Correct. Yep, so they can heal themselves. So the big guys heal D3, and if you're in range of them, you also heal D3. Wow. Very good. Hey, that's pretty good, especially considering a lot of the units you have are upwards of two wounds a model. Mm-hmm. It's going to make it pretty difficult to move. Yes. Next up, Dan, we have summoning. Summoning, yeah. So you can summon Nurgle demon units and feculent normals to the battlefield if you have enough contagion points. This is CPs, and this is kind of confusing when you're reading through the book. You have to really think about what the things are saying because we're used to seeing CPs and its command points, and that's not what it is in this book. 90% of the time, it's going to be Contagion points, right. which is what we're using for... CPs is our abbreviation outside of rules writing. They have chosen <laughs> to use that same abbreviation. <laughs> That's fine. It'll be okay. But it is the currency. Mm-hmm. Contagion points here, the meta currency for this battle tone. At the start of your hero phase, you receive three CPs. If there are any friendly Magakin of Nurgle units wholly within your territory. And three, if there are any friendly Magakin units wholly within your opponent's territory. So that's six you can get right mm-hmm. away. If you receive CPs for a territory and there are no enemy models in that territory, you receive another CP. All right. So that's seven you could get. Looks pretty reliable. You could get eight, right. Yeah, the chances of you being in your territory and their territory and them having no models in either... You've pretty much tabled them. Pretty low. (laughs) Yeah. So, but still, that's fairly reliable if you talk about, you know, being able to get those summoning points. If you have any CPs at the end of the movement phase, you can summon one unit or terrain feature, which is an armor, from the list below to the battlefield and add it to your army. Each unit or terrain feature you summon costs the number of CPs shown on the list. Yep. And you can only summon if you have enough CPs. Units must be set up 
more than nine inches from the enemy and wholly within seven inches of a Magakin hero or wholly within seven of a Narmal in your army. The Narmals must be set up more than seven inches from any other Narmal and more than three inches from all models, objectives, blah, 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 blah. Okay, Brendan, this really hasn't changed a lot. Oh, the points kind of changed mm-hmm. a little bit, but the list of it's, units... It's a shorter list, number yep. one. Uh, but the list is very nice. I mean, Bile Piper and Scrivener, yeah, absolutely. When we talk about those two, they're both really good choices. You can summon another Narwhal if you want to. Obviously, you can bring in... I mean, this, a lot of what's on here is heroes, too, when sure. you think about it. It's probably about half of this list is heroes. Yeah, so the Bile Piper and Scrivener coming in at seven points apiece. Boom. You can pretty reliably get that in your first turn, depending on your army composition. Mm-hmm. A Gnarl Maw is at nine. If you want more Gnarl Maws, you'd have to you know, spend some time and energy on it. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about that War Scroll in a little bit, I'll explain why people are reading it a certain way and why they're wrong. Okay. And until an FAQ tells me otherwise, then... I'm right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. You know, a Plague Bearers of 10 models is 14 points, which is... All right. You know, you're typically not going to see that until at least turn two or three, mm-hmm. which is fine. That makes sense. Plague Drones, 18 points. Also fine. Yep. Great Unclean One with 30. Wow. Yeah, that's a big step up from 18 to 30. Yeah. That's going to be a tough one. And the difference here between the other one is you can only summon one unit at a time, which brings it in line with other summoning mechanics that right. have been developed since right. the first introduction of summoning, which was <laughs> Mayakin of Nurgle. Now, you don't... Unlike some others, you don't lose the points you don't spend. So if you have 18 and you spend 9, you still have 9 left. Correct. But you can only buy one unit at a time. Yes. Yeah, that's the big thing. Okay. Coolio. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about the magic wheel. Yeah. Big difference here. Yes and no. Yes and no. In terms of the content, yes. Yes. In terms of how it functions at the base level of the wheel... Pretty much the same. No difference at all. Okay, right. But at the start of the first battle round, before determining who has the first turn, one player who can use this battle trait rolls a dice. So if you and another Nurgle player are playing, you use one wheel. The effect for that stage on the, the cycle of corruption chart below that corresponds to the roll that applies in the battle round. At the start of each subsequent battle round, the cycle of corruption advances to the next stage, and the effect for that stage applies in that battle round. If more than one player can use this battle trait, the current stage of the cycle of corruption applies to each of those players. Okay. There's seven locations on it. You can only roll six. Obviously, it'll tip into the seventh if you roll high enough or you manipulate it into those spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Dan, it starts off at number one with a pretty good one. (laughs) Yeah, all Mega Kindle Nurgle heroes have a four-up ward save instead of a five-up. Woof. It's really good. Now, it's only for that turn. That battle round, yeah. That battle round. But man, if that time's right for you, that could be epic. Yeah, if you can get that to hit in the midst of when you're planning on having your army in the thick of combat. Mm -hmm. That's craziness. It's pretty good. It's crazy. Then the second one, how about the Fecund Fecund Vigor? Vigor. All units are treated as being within 14 inches of a locus of fecundity. Everybody gets back D3. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. We have the burgeoning. At the start of your hero phase, roll a number of dice equal to the number of the current battle round. For each four up, you receive an extra CP. Okay. And when it says CP, contagion points. Yes, contagion points, not command points. You don't get a zillion command points. (laughs) Location number four, the Plague of Misery. Heroes that do not have the Nurgle keyword cannot carry out heroic actions or issue the rally or inspiring (sighs) presence commands. Ooh, wow. (laughs) Wow. Again, that's timing, man. If you're in the right place at the right time and that happens to your opponent, look out, man. Look out. Ooh, 
Man, we have Nauseous Revulsion. Subtract one from charge rolls for enemy units that do not have the Nurgle keyword. Enemy units that do not have the Nurgle keyword cannot finish a pile-in move closer to the friendly Nurgle unit than they were at the start of the move. Now, it's the same thing as the Bile Piper rule. One of the Bile One of the Bile yep. rules, yeah. Very powerful. Goodness, that... Mm-hmm. Man, <laughs> you could really nerf somebody's epic charge. I'm going to do 30 damage to you. Uh, no, you're not, because you only got one model yeah. in base-to-base. Only one guy's in range. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Six is rampant disease. You add one to the disease rolls that you make in that battle round. Okay. So you're doing mortal wounds on three ups instead of four ups. Yeah. Nice. Pretty good. Yeah. That's great. So all of these are good. Mm-hmm. I mean, how about the last one, the corrupted rebirth? Yeah. Then? Tips into seven. At the start of your hero phase, you receive one extra command, uh, one extra <laughs> contagion <laughs> point <laughs> for each feculent narma in your army that is on the battlefield. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And the next thing we're going to talk about here is going to be Narmaz, but you're going to see that that's okay. It's not a be-all, end-all of, no. of any variety. It's an extra thingy that you can use. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe summon something that you, you kind of need or want. Narmaz is all the way in the back, unlike some of the you know, battle tomes where it's kind of at the beginning of the War Scrolls. This one's in the back. Uh, but why don't you talk to us about this? So the tree is very different. Yes. Right. You know, the what it does, the way it does is not the way you used to remember it. So yeah. cast that out of your mind. Never think of it again. <laughs> Here is your new reality. Only Magakin of Nurgle armies can include this faction terrain feature. So sorry, everybody else. After territories are determined, you can set up this faction terrain wholly within three inches of your territory and more than three inches from objectives, terrain features, endless spells and invocations. If both players can set up faction terrain, you roll off to do it first. Mm-hmm. It is impassable. So, you know, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, spreading disease. This faction terrain can never be set up within seven inches of another feculent Narama or within three inches of an objective or other terrain feature. Okay. Okay. If this terrain feature is affected by a rule that says you cannot use the scenery rules on its war scroll, destroy them. For the rest of the battle, <laughs> remove this terrain feature from play instead. Okay, fine. Very reasonable. Because... That also makes sense because really what it's getting at is here, the encroaching corruption rule. This terrain feature is treated as a friendly unit with the Magakin of Nurgle keyword for the purposes of the diseased battle trait. Mm-hmm. Cool. In addition, at the start of your hero phase, you receive one extra contagion point for each feculent Narma in your army that is on the battlefield and has no enemy models within three inches of it. What that sentence says is not a factorial statement. What that sentence says is that you get a point for each Narlma in your army that is on the battlefield. So hmm. if you have three Narlmas, you don't get nine contagion points where you get three per Narlma because you have three Narlmas and three Narlmas. Right. You get three contagion points. Right. One for each. Correct. Yep. And if they have no enemy models within three inches. Correct. Right. Now... That becomes its own interaction because you actually do kind of want it within three inches of an enemy unit because Mm -hmm. unless you're planning on doing the summoning, this is a unit that can continue handing out disease points to opponents. Sure. It's fine. You know, if it is a factorial statement, the nature and orientation of this army is going to be the question of how fast and how many trees can you get on the table (laughs) battle round one. Right. So that you can kick off this crazy summoning engine to be able to put down, you know, units every single turn. Right. Right. How can you get to, you know, four trees that mm-hmm. around one yeah. becomes the question, basically. Yeah. Because then at that point, you have 16 plus contagion points. So you're going to be dropping 10 blade bearers or three drones every single round. 
reading the book a couple of times, I don't know how anybody got to that interpretation. That's clearly not, from my perspective, how this book is set up to function. The summoning right. is in addition to, not a key fundamental utilization of, right. you know, like, this is how you win games. Like Slanesh, where the summoning is how you win games. Right. Okay. Those are the army-wide stuff. We made an executive decision to kind of split the reading on it into demons and mortals. Yep. We're going to get started with the demon side of the armies yep. because it has the most war scrolls. Yeah. So we felt that was going to be first. Fair enough. Okay, Brendan, why don't we start with the command traits? And we're, we've got six and three pretty much. We're going to do what we've normally done, pick two of the six or one of the three, unless there's something that's absolutely outstanding we can talk about it but we've got three command traits for the demons Mm. and which was the one you picked i liked all three of them okay for different reasons but the one i would say i probably end up settling on is the nurgling infestation okay good subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target this general in addition add one to hit rolls for attacks made by friendly nurgling swarms that are wholly within seven inches of this general the second half of that isn't very important no what is important is the minus one to hit rolls for attack the target this general. Chances are you're going to be putting it on a great unclean one. And so that way you're forcing your opponent to have to spend into the all-out attack or your titanic duel. You're basically forcing your opponent to have to do something that they're normally using to gain an advantage, but in this case are using it to get back to even. And there's no cost to you. Right. Which is really nice. It's automatic. You are just always this. Right. Now, I want to say something about the pestilential breath, which is another one, because a lot of people have been talking about that. I think that is very, very situational, because basically it says at the start of your shooting phase, pick one enemy unit within seven inches of your general, roll one dice for each model that's within seven inches of this. On a five up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Well, that's not going to do much for units even if you have an enemy unit that has 10 models so what are you going to do three mortal wounds whatever now if they got a unit of 30 wolves <laughs> now you could really take off some models but again we're not in a place right now in 3.0 where there are a lot of horde arm yeah so i just don't think that one is as effective as the one you picked which is the one i picked mm. eventually which is infestation okay so that's our command traits how about artifacts what did you pick for your demon stuff. The fun part about, you know, books that get rewritten, they all have the same name okay. as what everything had before. Okay. They just do something totally different. All right. So the first one I went with was the Wither Stave. You add right. one to disease rolls for enemy units that are within seven inches of the bearer. While you're rolling for disease rolls within seven inches of the bearer, all those disease rolls are three ups. That's really good. And when yeah. you're in that one turn of the wheel, rampant disease... It's triggering on two ups. It's amazing. So in those turns, you're going to be doing six mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. Reliable. Right. Right. That's where you're probably going to be getting. And that's to each enemy unit, too. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's within range. Yes. Yep. And great unclean ones have big bases. And that's within, not wholly within, too. I just Correct. Pointing those things out because they're important. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. So th- that's really good. That one's probably the first one I'm going after. And then I was between Nurgle's Nail and Tome of a Thousand Poxes. Okay. I would say I'm probably going to settle on Tome of a Thousand Poxes. Okay. The bearer can attempt to cast the Gift of Disease spell in your hero phase in the same manner as a wizard. If the bearer is a wizard. They know the Gift of Disease spell in addition to the spell you can normally pick for them from the lore of virulence. You can add one to the casting roll when they attempt to cast Gift of Disease. 
Let's just talk about the spell real quick mm. before. Okay, so because it's going to reference this a few places. So Gift of Disease is a spell that has a casting value of 6, range of 21 inches. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, visible to the caster. Give that unit and each other unit within 7 of that unit 1 disease point. So it's like an explosion. Yeah. Splatter damage. Yeah, I think the right way to put this is you're adding some reliability and ensuring that those disease points are out there and on the table and doing work for you over the course of the game. Okay. That, to me, is what's important to getting some of this engine going. Because the army itself doesn't do necessarily tons and tons and tons of damage. Mm -hmm. But the army does a lot of damage in small pieces. Mm -hmm. So if you can start that part of it going early... You're going to be okay. All right. So I did pick Nurgle's Nail as my choice. Your other one that you would look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, pick one of the bearer's melee weapons. Attacks made with that weapon inflict one disease point on the target with an unmodified hit roll of five or six instead of just six. And I was thinking of like a great unclean one. They have a lot of attacks. Mm-hmm. And you could put a lot of disease points on somebody with a great unclean one, for example. And presently, you can actually... So you'd, you'd have to give this to one of the weapons. Right. Presently, the Nurglings aren't companions or mounts. Mm-hmm. As written currently, you could give this to the Nurglings, mm-hmm. and their 15 attacks can trigger those items. How long that stays, yeah, we'll see about that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, what was your second one? That was it. Oh, the, that was the, the second nails, one. Yeah. So what was the first one then? The Wither State oh, okay. like you. I, again, yeah. both of those affect disease rolls, and I just think that is such an important mechanic now that it's here that you need to do what you can to make it really worthwhile mm-hmm. and, and really productive for you. Okay. So how about uh, Lore of Virulence? This is our demon spells. We've got three, and I picked Favorite Poxes. Okay. Uh, Favorite Poxes is a spell that has a casting value of seven. You're going to notice in a lot of these listeners that we've got seven as the casting value, which makes sense. It's Nurgle, but it still makes it a little more challenging. They're not fours and fives like a lot of battle tomes are nowadays. Favorite Poxes is a spell that has a casting value of seven, a range of 14. If successful, pick one enemy unit within range, visible to the caster until the caster moves, attacks, makes a casting or unbinding roll, dispelling attempt, or is slain. Subtract one from hit and wound rolls for the attacks made by that unit and subtract one from save rolls. Minus one to hit and wound and save rolls. Now, it costs you a little bit on what it is that you can do with that wizard. Correct. And when your most reliable casters from your demons are going to be great unclean ones who are actually pretty fighty nowadays. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll talk about that in in just a moment. It's a difficult trade, right? It's very good. Oh, yeah. But if you're going to do it on your most reliable caster, you're exchanging something significant in return for that. Sure. Now, if you put it on one of your less reliable casters, you're losing a little bit less, but you're less likely to get what you're looking for out of it. Okay, sure. So I like that one. How about you? I picked Fleshy Abundance. Favorite Poxes is is a very good one, but Fleshy Abundance is a spell with a casting value of a 7 and a range of 14 inches. If Mm. successfully cast, pick one friendly Magikin of Nurgle demon unit within range invisible to caster. Add one of the wounds characters to that unit until your next hero phase. Uh, And the designer's note on this is... Once the spell ends, this can mean that a model dies when it ends. Okay. And for those of you who don't understand how counting works, if you have a unit that can suffer three wounds, you know, as a result of fleshy abundance, and you have suffered two to that point, and the spell reverts, and you have suffered two wounds, and your wounds characteristic is two, you die. Right. Because now it's two minus two equals zero. Zero. And this is something that I have had to explain more than I thought I would need to Okay. over the last couple days. Okay. Because Age of Sigmar 
you count suffered, not remaining. Right. Yeah, that one could be pretty good, especially on the one unit we're going to talk about that now has two wounds. We, we referenced that kind of eerily, but it's two, it's really good. Two to three is... <laughs> is huge, especially when you have that many models that you're yeah, going to have. Yeah, I mean, even putting them on play drones, just the extra oh. wound, right? The number of models that you can have just makes life miserable. Sure, for your enemy. Mm-hmm. The next thing that we're going to talk about is sub-factions. sub-factions. We got three for demons. We got Wanderers, Host, and Guard. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, we'll start with Wanderers. Okay. If an enemy unit is within three inches of a friendly, munificent Wanderers, Plague Bearer, Host that has ten or more models at the end of the movement phase or combat phase, it receives two disease points instead of one for being within three inches of any friendly Magakin of Nurgle units. Well, if you're leaning into a Plague Bearer type of an army, mm-hmm. that could really add up pretty quickly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it seem like that would also kind of motivate you if you've got this to do more of an MSU? In other words, instead of doing a couple of 20s, you do a bunch of 10s to just spread that disease all over the place. Mm. This is a all right one to do if you're planning on taking a mixed arm faction. Okay. Where your generation of disease points, you are outsourcing a little bit to plague bearers. Okay. All right. You know, Fair. you'll do it with other stuff too, but you know, now reliably you're placing four disease points onto enemy units rather than your two, okay. right? You know, a hundred percent increase is not a bad thing. All right. The next one, I'm going to go to droning guard. Mm-hmm. This is the second one. I love the flying units. I love the cavalry always. doesn't matter what army it is. This is for plague drones and you subtract one for hit rolls from hit rolls for attacks that target plague drones units in the first battle round and in the battle round in which they were set up. Situational to Very. me. I don't know that that's one that I would be taking outside of trying to get them into the battle line role because they mm-hmm. become battle line in droning guard. Sure. Which, you know, it's fine. Yeah. They're not like Stormcast where they have a bunch of charge rerolls and things like that right. where they can really get in. If you're going to lean into them, then obviously that's something you would look at. Mm-hmm. Okay, how about the last one, which is pretty interesting? The last one is the Befouling Host. Their rule is a Befouling Host army that has a Demon General, can include two Feculent Naramas instead of one. Okay. Set up the second Feculent Narama wholly within your territory, more than seven from all other Naramas, more than three from all other objectives and other terrain features. It's fine. It's an extra summoning point. And if you are in the business of reading it as a factorial, <laughs> then you have no... If that's the position you're taking, you better not be running any other sub-faction. Right. Because if that's the way it's to be read and that's the way it's to work, then this is clearly better than everything else in this book. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you guys can hear my eyes rolling. Uh, <laughs> That's it for that. So what we're going to do is we're normally going to do heroes, then we're going to do units, and then we're going to talk about the battalion, because there is one battalion. So, Brendan, do you want to do Rodigus, or do you want to do the Great Unclean one? I'm going to give you Rodigus. Okay, the, Coolio. The Great Unclean one scroll is a little more complicated, and, and I think there's Dan, a couple And you of, can handle the other one. That's not what I'm saying. I, <laughs> there are a couple of things I, I, I want to point out without interrupting your reading flow. of the War Scroll. okay. Fair enough. Rodigus is the named Great Unclean One, basically, is what he is. He is 20 wounds with a 4-up save, 10 bravery, 4-inch move. We're going to find that the entire army is pretty slow. Slow as dirt. Yeah. But this is one of the changes that we're talking about. It's going to look familiar, but this army is quite a bit slower. Your play style is going to be different. Yes, absolutely. He has 
three melee weapons here. He's got the Gnarl Rod, the Fanged Maw, and the Host of Nurglings. The Gnarl Rod is two inches. Five attacks, three by threes, minus one, three damage. Pretty good. And then the Fang Maw is one inch, D3 attacks, threes to hit, and then he has a chart for to wound. It goes from two up to five up, and minus two and two damage for the rest of the profile on that thing. So that's still pretty respectable. A little more swingy because it's D3, but still, two damage is two damage. And then we have a host of Nurglings, and you start out with 15, counting down by fives for the number of attacks. Five by fives, no rend, and one damage. Okay. He is a war master, so he's treated as a general, even if he's not picked as a general. He is a wizard. He's a two caster and a two just unbinder. He's bloated with corruption. If an unmodified ward roll for this unit is six, he can pick one enemy unit within three inches. The unit suffers one disease point. Not mortal wound. I know you're waiting for mortal wound. It's not. It's disease point, okay? You're going to see that a lot more when you think you're going to get mortal wounds. The Rain Father. So he is going to rain down disease. You can re-roll the casting roll when this unit attempts to cast Deluge of Nurgle spell, which is the spell in his War Scroll. Mountain of Loathsome's Flesh, of course. You can carry out this monstrous rampage with this unit instead of another monstrous rampage. So you get an extra monstrous rampage here, basically is what it is. You get an extra option for what to do with this. If you do so, pick one enemy unit within three inches. On a two-up, that unit suffers the number of mortal wounds equal to the Mountain of Loathsome Flesh value on a unit's damage table, which starts at four and goes down to one. On a two-up, that's really reliable. You are getting four mortals. It's it's a better stomp. Absolutely. Yep. Really nice. And then Deluge, which is his spell, cast on seven. Again, we said that was pretty common here. But he gets to re-roll it. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. If successfully cast, you roll seven dice on each five up. You pick one different enemy unit that is visible to the caster, and each of those units suffers D3 mortal wounds. There you go. Not bad. No, not. You can spread the love. Not bad. 20 wounds with a four or five up save. Because he does have a five up. Yeah. Uh, One of the important things to know is that the price points on these guys is five hundred. It's four ninety five, I think, for yeah, both of them. Quite a bit higher. Yep. The great unclean one's four ninety five, and so is Radigus. Yep. But as you can see in the war scroll for Radigus, he is beefier, mm-hmm. and he does quite a bit more damage, healing all those mechanics oh, past that. Right. He gets all that too. It's pretty good because he is a locus, I believe, isn't yep. he? Yep. Well, he's got keyword. Great Unclean One. Right, there you go. So, uh, the Great Unclean One is 4-inch move, 4-up save, bravery 10, 18 wounds. In terms of the profile, there's a number of them, but you, (sighs) you can only achieve some combination therein. No matter what, they have the Noxious Bile missile weapon and the Host of Nurglings. Then you have to do some combination therein of the Bile Sword and Plague Plague Flail, the Doomsday Bell and the Plague Flail, Bile Sword and the Bile Blade, or the My Doomsday Bell matters. and Bile Blade. Yeah, I like the two blades for me, but go ahead. Yeah, they're, they're all pretty good. Yeah, they are. Um, That's true. The sword is two inches, four attacks, fours by threes, Ren 2, damage four. Ooh, man. Quite a big change from what it was before. Very the nice. bell, the alternative between the sword and the bell. So mm-hmm. these are your options here. One inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. Mm-hmm. Not bad. The bile blade, one inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage three. The flail, one inch range, five attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage three. Mm-hmm. Again, pretty good. And the host of nurglings, exactly the same as yeah, that was before. Then he's got his missile weapon, which is a 7-inch range, D6 attacks, 3s to hit, profile, 
Two's down to fives to wound. Ren three, damage two. Whew. Nice. A lot of variation on that, but <laughs> yeah, pretty good ceiling and an okay floor. Yeah. Great unclean ones are now two cast, two unbind wizards. Oh, sorry. I think they always were, but they're still two cast, two unbind wizards <laughs> okay. then. They're bloated with corruption, which is the same thing as what you saw on Rodigus's war scroll, where mm-hmm. six is on their ward save. They can hand out disease points to enemy units within three. Mm-hmm. He also has Mountain of Loathsome Flesh, exact same as Rodigus's scroll. They have putrid offerings. In your hero phase, if this unit is armed with a bioblade, you can say that it is making an offering to Nurgle. If you do so, this unit suffers one mortal wound that cannot be negated, but it can attempt to cast one extra spell in that hero phase. With 18 wounds, that seems like something you would want to do more often than not. I mean, it's nice that you have that option and that tool, Brendan. It's not a bad thing. How about that? Yeah, the cost is minimal too. Especially if you set it up in a way in which you're looking to get a specific round of casting sure off okay he has the reverberating summons which is the bell if you have the bell at the start of your hero phase and this unit is on the battlefield you can roll a dice and on a one nothing happens on a two through five you receive an extra contagion point on a six you receive d3 extra contagion points okay not bad not great but one of those things right where you're looking at the trade-off between that and the bile sword yeah Yep. Pretty good. Being a four to hit on the Bile Sword, you know, makes it a little less attractive. I haven't run the numbers on it, but man, the notion of damage four, very tempting. <laughs> Just a couple of those get through, you're going to wail on some. You're going to feel good about the results. <laughs> uh, and then the base spell that he knows is Plague Wind. It has a casting value of a seven and a range of 14 inches. If successfully cast, pick one point on the battlefield within range and visible to the caster. Draw a line of, uh, between that point and the closest part of the caster's base. Roll a dice for each enemy unit that passed across that line. On a four up, that unit suffers one disease point. Okay. That's not very good. For what the casting value is and what it takes to set it up in a way where it's going to be really, really effective, mm-hmm. I would much rather be spending the casting attempts on Mystic Shield. And I would much rather be spending a casting attempt of seven specifically on something like Fleshy Abundance. Sure. Perfect. Or Flaming Weapon on my Nurglings. Or really anything on his profile since there's so many attacks. And just to clarify, when you talk about the Nurglings getting that flaming weapon, Brendan, you're talking about the Nurglings on the base of this hero. Sure. Not just Nurglings scrambling around the board, obviously. It's not necessarily a good use of your time and energy, right? (laughs) It's 15 attacks that are fives and fives, no rend, potentially damage two, right? That would be very silly. Or you can make damage five sword, damage three bell, mm-hmm. you know, taking these kinds of things and increasing their damage, you know, taking the bioblade, getting that up to damage four. Sure. Not a bad thing. Taking the plague flail, getting that up to damage four. Well, and your nurglings are already on average going to be doing two or three disease points, right, mm-hmm. for you because they're going to be rolling sixes. Right. So some. It, it's nothing more than like, it would be funny. Of course. There, there are better choices on your weapon profile sure. than the nurglings. But you're right. Weapon. It would be fun to see your opponent's face when you choose choose to do that Mm. but with his casting attempts what i'm saying in the context of plague wind and the other things that are available to them i would probably be taking anything else next one is poxbringer Mm -hmm. okay poxbringer is five wounds ten bravery four up save four inch move he is a wizard one cast wizard captain of the tally bands oh he has a bale sword so one inch range four attacks three by threes minus one ren d3 damage and then he is the captain of the tally bands when you pick a unit to fight for the first time in that phase, you can pick one friendly plague bearer unit, wholly within 12 inches of this unit, not seven. Wow, that's weird. And has not yet. Or <laughs> I 14, think seven would be a little seven too or tough. 14, maybe that would be cool. Is not yet fought. That unit can fight 
one after the other in the order of your choice. That's pretty good. I don't know that this is a character you want fighting very much anyways, but just like what we talked about earlier in the show with the Soul Blight rule, if you're there, this is nice to have. Uh, and then we have Eruptive Infestation. It's a spell that has a casting value of six. If successful, pick one enemy unit that's within three inches of a friendly Plague Bear unit. Invisible of the caster, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Little chip damage, whatever. Yeah, fine. Okay. All right, nothing special there with the Poxbringer. How about the next guy? Next up is Epidemius. So this is one of your named characters. He is a four-inch move, four-up save, bravery 10, seven wounds. So he's a Poxbringer on basically like a little throne of sorts. He gets a Bale Sword as well, but because he's on his throne, he's just a little bit worse at it. He only has three attacks that hit on fours, wound on threes, rend one, damage D3. But he sits atop of Mound of Nurglings. <laughs> And they are 10 attacks, 5 by 5s, no rend, damage 1. And as the tally man, he is always interested in, you know, how much disease is being spread. So at the start of your hero phase, if this unit's on the battlefield, roll the number of dice for each of the following units and terrain features that are visible to this unit. Three dice for each great unclean one keyword, two dice for each friendly plague bearer host that has 10 or more models, and each feculent gnarlmaw, and one dice for each other friendly maggotkin of Nurgle unit. For each five up, add one to the tally of new diseases kept by Epidemius to a maximum tally of seven. Each new disease that is recorded allows you to re-roll one ward, casting, dispel, or unbinding roll that you make for a friendly maggotkin of Nurgle unit. Note that you can never have more than seven, and it's single rolls, and you got to keep track of that adding and subtracting. Okay. He has the totem keyword, which is you know useful for AoE you know command being issued from him but it's fine he's 145 points it's a re-roll too yeah it might be an important one yeah there are some re-rolls in there that's cool he's fine there are other places to spend these points i'm not super sold on him over some other things right you know like you have your sloppity bile pipers of the world which we'll talk about in just a minute but like if you are going to take a pox bringer you might as well just take epidemius right so now we have the scrivener five wounds Five up save, 10 bravery, four inch move, has disgusting sneezes, which is seven inch range, D6 attacks, two by fours, no rend, one damage, and then his distended maw, which is two inch range, two attacks, three by threes, minus two, two damage. Okay, but you're probably not going to have this person in combat. Yeah, again, <laughs> it's the, not these little characters it. are here for other purposes. They're here to buff your army. At the start of the combat phase, this is keep counting, I'm watching you. At the start of the combat phase, you can say that this unit will call for a count. If you do so, pick one friendly plague bearer unit, wholly within 14 inches of this unit. Pick one of the following counts that you can do. So you can choose between adding one attack to that unit's profile. You can also improve the Ren by one, or you can add one to save rolls for that unit. Pretty good options there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just Plague Bearers too. The ceiling on what it is that they're doing isn't too high. Adding attacks to try and get more disease rolls going makes is, sense. Yeah, is not a bad thing. Yeah, that makes sense. And they're one attack to start, so that wouldn't be doubling their number of attacks with that one. Okay, the infamous bile piper yeah very similar a little bit different four inch move five up save bravery 10 five wounds he's got his his melee weapon which is one inch range four attacks fours by threes rend one damage two cool neat again that's not what you're using him for you're using him for his jolly gut pipes at the start of the combat phase you can say that it will play a revolting tune if you do so pick one of the following a unit cannot benefit from more than one if it's affected by two none apply first one is you add one to wound rolls made by nurgle demon units wholly within 14 inches cool 
right. You know, and the nice thing here is that it's just Nurgle demons where the Scrivener is uh, Plague Bearers specifically. You could add one to Great Unclean Ones. Correct. Yeah, yes. there you go. Okay. You would be able that to do that That would make them a two-up to wound. That would, that would be, be really beautiful. It's nice. Yeah, it's great. The other one is the unmodified wound roll for an attack made by friendly Nurgle demon units wholly within 14 inches. On sixes, it does a mortal wound in addition to any damage. So this okay. used to be hit rolls, but obviously disease rolls are your sixes to hit now. And then the last one is the enemy models within mm-hmm. three inches of Nurgle demon units that are wholly within 14 Ugh. inches of Sloppities cannot finish pylon moves closer to a model in that unit that they were at the start of the move. That's so amazing. He has the totem keyword, so they cost seven to summon. So you can very reliably, if you build your army in that way, get a Sloppity turn one yep there you go so get your support cool. staff out there and cool get going it. all right coolio so then we've got what's this five regular units there's one more hero in here that is horticulous all right so why don't you talk about plague bears brendan plague bears again similar but different four inch move six up save bravery 10 two wounds not bad <laughs> they have their plague sword which is a one inch range one attack fours by threes no rend damage one their champion gets one extra attack. Their standard bearer, you know, if the unmodified Battleshock roll is a one, mm-hmm. you can return one slain model that unit and no models flee. The musician forces re-rolls of Battleshock one for enemy units within six inches of any friendly pipers. The cloud of flies, you subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target this unit while it has five or more models. Okay. The durability on the unit is different. You know, the nature of plague bearers is different, but... When you're clocking in at 150 points for 20 wounds on the table mm-hmm. that have a five-up ward save and can heal, that's not a bad pick. No, not at all. And doubling those wounds on that model is such a significant increase mm-hmm. in, as you said, the durability here. Rather than, I mean, I don't care if I only have a six-up save now. It doesn't matter. I'd rather have a six-up save with two wounds than a five-up with one any day mathematically even makes sense sure and boy you get a unit of 10 of these guys running around or get crazy and have a unit of 20 holy mutt i mean you're not going to do anything with them they're going to be really difficult to move if you choose to take the time to sink in your two reinforcement points Mm -hmm. and you're spending 450 points on this 60 wound brick Mm -hmm. of plague bears you have things like life swarm that you can zip around the board and bring models back over time I mean, good luck getting through that it's gonna take a minute now you aren't kicking out minus one against melee weapons anymore which is i would say pretty significant sure and one of the key factors of their durability element but when you're restricted to a number of reinforcement points i'll take the double wounds on that 30 brick any day yeah any day sign me up Absolutely. Okay, let's go to Horticulus. Mm-hmm. He, he is a hero, but he is 10 wounds, 4 up save, 4 inch move, 10 bravery. He has two weapons. He has the Lopping Shears, which is 1 inch range, 3 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 1 rend, D3 damage, so a little swingy. Slime Encrusted Jaws for his little snail buddy. <laughs> 1 inch range, D3 attacks, 3 by 3s, minus 2 and 2 damage. The Acidic Slime Trail, which the beasts have as well, Beasts of Nurgle. Before the unit retreats, roll a dice for each enemy unit that's within three inches of this unit on a two-up suffers d3 mortal wounds okay beast handler you can re-roll charge rolls for friendly beasts of nurgle that are wholly within 14 inches of this unit in addition you can add one to hit rolls for attacks made by friendly beasts of nurgle that are wholly within 14 if you're playing into a beast's army if you're going to go with that fun aesthetic obviously this is some guy you'd want to take 
is the zookeeper, as it were. Then we have cultivating the Garden of Nurgle once per battle at the start of your hero phase. You can set up one fecular normal within seven inches of this unit, more than seven from other normals, more than three from all other thingies, and add it to your army. Yep. And this is where, you know, as you were talking earlier, this is where if you want to lean into normals, obviously you would take the thing the Subfaction that gives you two, he could add another one. You could add, you could end up with quite a few on the board. Yeah, and in that quickly. case, right, you know, you've got three contagion points. You're going to mm-hmm. get the three from your territory for six. You're going to get the one for existing for seven. And then you're going to have the ability to summon in a, a bile piper. Mm-hmm. You know, but do you want to take that build or do you want to take something that builds a little more towards disease? And mm-hmm. this is totally. Yeah you know, independence of what we're going to talk about in mortals in just a little bit. Sure. You know, like that's cool. It's one of those things that's mm-hmm. extra. Is it bad? No. Is it great? Not yeah. really. You know, because he is still a hero. He does still cost points. He is still a 225 point investment. And when you look at, I guess you could consider the math on, you know, what your offset is by taking that sum faction and then taking Horticulus and then getting a, or 130 character on the board, you know, in your first turn. Oh, Okay. You know, I can see you making the mathematical justification for that. Sure. So, fine. All right. Why don't you talk about beasts? So, beasts of Nurgle are five inch move, five up save, bravery ten, eight wounds apiece. They have filthy claws, one inch range, four attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage two, and they're slobbering maw, one inch range, d6 attacks, fours by threes, mm-hmm. no rend, damage one. They are attention seekers. They can retreat and still charge later in the same turn, mm-hmm. and when they retreat, they can move over other models in the same way as if they had the ability to fly. Now, movement five, it's pretty easy to get penned in. They have disease slime trail, which is very similar to Horticulus, but instead, the difference is, is on a four up, the unit suffers a disease point instead of mortal wounds. Sure. But it's for each enemy unit within three inches. And they're not on the super small bases, but you can get them in places where they could trigger that on a couple of different units. Again, an opportunity to get your disease point engine moving. Okay. They have the Pestilent Battering Ram. After a model in this unit finishes a charge roll, roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inch of that model. On a two up, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. If this unit has more than one model, roll for each and then allocate after they've all finished their charge move. That is very common with units that charge. I mean, that have that kind of a rule where you do them one at a time. Mm-hmm. Very and, common. you know, they're 110 points. And the befalling host, their battle line in, and that's the sub-faction that gives you more trees and stuff like that. It's something where you're incentivized to take Beast of Nurgle. Horticulus incentivizes you to taste Beast of Nurgle. You'd have some extra contagion points to work with. So that combination of things is kind of how they're metering that out specifically. Well, and you know, when you look at it though, each one is eight wounds with a five up, five up save. Mm-hmm. You know, you take three of them, that's 24 wounds with a five up after save. That's a pretty big brick that's still going to be hard to get rid of. And you have Slimux that can do things to buff them. You can heal them, as you pointed out earlier. You can have them things. near loci's. Like, yeah. They're not bad. No. Am I building my whole army around them? No, probably not. But they're a tool. Correct. Yeah. And you can use them depending on how you know how you build your army. And then speaking of tool units, I think that the Nurgling War Scroll fits into that categorization perfectly. Yeah. Because yeah. Nurglings, four wounds, six up save, ten bravery, four inch move. They have a one inch range on their attack with their little teeth, five attacks, five by fives, no range, one damage. Endless swarm at the end of the battleshock phase, heal all the wounds that have been allocated to this unit. When I played Nick at our 
event we just Pants went con. through. Oh man, there were a couple of times when I just could not get the wounds on those things and they came back. It was so annoying. <laughs> it wasn't terrible, but it's just annoying. And then hidden infestation is a really interesting rule. So during deployment, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side, say it's set up in a hidden infestation as a reserve unit. If you do so, at the end of your first movement phase, you must set up this unit on the battlefield, wholly outside of your territory, within three inches of a terrain feature and more than nine inches from all enemy units. When we talk about one of the Magath Lords, Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting option here. Yeah, with him. Nurglings, pretty much the same as they've always been, but you know, again, they can be something that you throw in for whatever reason. For 105 points, you get three bases, yeah. which is 15 attacks at fives and fives. And when you consider that they, they now pick up the ward save for disgusting and resilient, something that they didn't have before, they make excellent screens. The idea of having 15 attacks to put some diseased points onto units. Things that your opponent not only doesn't want to deal with, but the things that you can put them into are things that actually probably can't deal with them in a real meaningful way in the short term. At 105 points, like I said, not a bad pickup. Yep. All right, man. We got one more to go, yeah? Yeah, and the demon half, you have the plague drones, which are an 8-inch move, 5-up save, bravery 10, 5 wounds apiece. This is a super cool unit. Mm -hmm. You know, they were cool before, but I think they got better. They're 200 points, which is in the ballpark of where they were before. Mm -hmm. But all of them have a missile weapon, the Death's Head. All of them have Plague Swords. And then all the mount stuff got standardized to be just one manageable profile. Sure. First up is the Death's Head, 7-inch range. Not very far, but the attack's characteristic is based on the number of models in the target unit to a maximum of 7. So that could be 21 attacks in a 3-model unit. That's threes and threes, no rend damage one. Sixes to hit, inflict disease points. That's just the death's head. It's death by a thousand cuts. Yes. All of them have plague swords, which is one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, no rend damage one. The champion gets plus one to that. Fine. And then the mounts are six attacks, threes and threes, no rend damage one. Ceiling, not super high, but this is a really good unit uh, that's very defensive, right? You know, it can take the healing bit of it well. It's going to stick around for a while. It's just going to be there. Now, Brendan, when you look at the attacks, you talked about the death's head. If you, let's say you're against units that have five models, Mm -hmm. let's just say. On average, that's probably fair. You're going to be talking about, with three of these guys, almost 40 attacks combined, right? Because you've got five plus eight is 13, and then there's three models. You've got your 15 ranged attacks. Yes. Total. Yep. And then each base is eight attacks apiece. So it's 24. 24. It's 39. So yeah. almost 40 attacks. Literally, you can almost mathematically guarantee that you're going to max out disease points on somebody that you get in contact with, with these guys. These guys would just be great for just spreading disease everywhere, even if it's just a unit of three. Because you hit somebody and they're going to max out right away. And that's really cool to think about. Yeah. It's one of those things where you have to remember to be conscious that there's a dice roll on the other side of that too. There aren't guarantees in this, but from a competitive perspective, the more you are putting your opponent in these positions, the more likely these things are to occur. It's about reliability. And when you have the opportunity to toss a great unclean one with wither stave into the middle of your opponent's (sighs) army, you have increased that reliability. You have a force multiplier. You have a larger application of things. This becomes a unit where they're tossing a lookout, sir. Not bad. Throw a couple extra disease points on there. 
You're not necessarily doing the damage right now, but this isn't a unit that's necessarily going to be going anywhere in any sort of short period of time. You have the ability to make these guys more durable. You have the opportunity to cast Fleshy Abundance, which means that they're an 18-wound unit. It's a lot to move. Three models. Yeah. And when you start taking that in the context of this army isn't necessarily of its own merit going to kill a lot, but you have to do quite a bit to remove it. You're playing a different game all of mm-hmm. a sudden. Yeah, because while you're trying to remove it, it is slowly but surely eating Removing away. you. Yeah, which is so cool. It's such a great mechanic. Yeah. We'll take a break here, and then we'll come back to talk about the mortal stuff. Sounds good. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Brendan, we're back with the mortals. Yeah, so where gonna... we have 11 heroes for two regular units. <laughs> it's crazy. When I first looked at the book, I looked at the two units and I thought I was missing some pages or something because that was it. I turned back and forth like, just two? So anyway. So again, if you really like Hero War Scrolls, this is your book. Yeah, there we go. Let's talk about command traits first yep. for Lord of the Rock Bringers. And what were the two that you had picked out so, of six? Where all three of the demon ones I felt had a place and had a home, mm-hmm. had a much harder time with the the yeah. mortal side of it, right. finding things that I felt were good and had value. The first of which I really liked is the overpowering stench. Enemy units within seven inches of general cannot issue commands, and enemy units wholly within seven inches of general cannot receive commands. I really like this on a Lord of Afflictions. He's a mortal general who can get a command trait and has the durability to get thrown into kind of the mix of things and stick around for long enough for this ability to actually be effective. Yeah, this is one of my choices too. And the thing is, like some other ones, things we've talked about, it's just automatic. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to roll. It just happens if you're within that distance, Mm -hmm. which is really powerful. Goodness. The other one that I like, but it's going to take, I think, a little bit to set it up correctly, mm. is the Living Plague. I can't believe we've, picked <laughs> we've done that before, but man, okay. I'll pick a third one there in a moment. At the start of your hero phase, roll a dice for each enemy unit within seven inches of this general. Mm-hmm. On a two-up, give that unit one disease point. Cool. And you receive one contagion point. Mm-hmm. Cool. So both of the engines that kind of tick along over the course of the game, you're achieving both at the same time. Again, Lord of Afflictions is the unit that I'd be putting this on to be able to get into the middle of some stuff. Now, again, you have to be judicious about those combats that you get them into, but Mm -hmm. a third one, you know, since we've picked two here that are exactly the same, that is of interest, at least I know, to Nurgle players is Grandfather's Blessing. Sure. A command trait that basically everyone took all the time. Uh, It's a little bit different now. You know, it's still once per battle. At the start of the battle round, after the cycle of corruption has advanced, if this general has not been slain, you can move the cycle of corruption one stage forward, if more than one player could move, current stage of the cycle, using the command trait, then none of them can. If both of you have this ability, then neither, one then of, you neither of you do. <laughs> and okay. it can only go forward, which is interesting. There's no real way to, to readjust the wheel in a meaningful way mm-hmm. or a reliable way in that regards. Right. So this is one of the ways to do that. Otherwise, you're largely subject to the whims of the dice guys yeah exactly yep okay coolio Mm -hmm. artifacts i picked the first one was the rust fang which yes that's a very good one once per battle at the start of the hero phase now it is once per battle you can pick an enemy hero within three inches of the bearer subtract one from save rolls for attacks that target that hero for the rest of the battle if you get that on somebody fast enough or soon enough man that's just that's just gone you Mm -hmm. know they lose that for it 
four turns, three turns, whatever it is. That's really, really good. And then the other one is the split horn helm. Mm. The bearer has a disgustingly resilient ward of a four plus. Put that on that Lord of Afflictions. Woof. That guy's going to be hard to move. Yeah, I love that one. That's just great. Sincerity. Since now, and, and the wonderful thing about this is that mortals now have that five up ward save that they yeah. did not have before so they didn't have the ability to modify it at all and the fact that you can do that is i think really powerful that's great so my first one was rust fang my second one is flesh peeler mm, okay yeah. and i would take that in combination with the living plague now obviously flesh peeler is yeah, a little bit less reliable yeah, yeah. here in your hero phase you roll a dice for each enemy unit that is within mm-hmm. seven inches of the bearer on a four up you give that unit one disease point Still, you roll in two dice. You could one's up- a two up, one's a four up, right? You're handing out disease points. You're getting contagion points on the first one. This one's a four up for just another disease point. You're just putting all of that out there. But that's every enemy unit within seven, Brendan. You could potentially just before you do anything else, you're putting two disease points on those units. That's before you add for at the end of the movement phase and the end of the combat phase and any attacks you do, you're just racking it up and being at six or seven is not a problem. I mean, you hardly have to work at it. And this one doesn't have to be your general, right? Because it, right. it is an artifact. So you could have multiple Lords of Affliction. You can have two right. units in two different locations doing similar things. Yeah, yeah it's... The Rust Fang is really good. I'm glad that it's once per battle now. Its effect is still incredible and still worth the ability to just reduce the save rolls by one for the, you know. I mean, so you give, you're giving people, or if you give somebody all out defense, all you're doing is break it even. Yeah. <laughs> when you think about it, which is really good. And then the rend kicks in. Yeah, right. Here you go. How about spell lures? And we have six here. Which ones did you think were worthwhile? <sighs> yeah, these mortal spells they're not the greatest i had a real hard time picking any of them Mm. it's like i'd rather just take mystic shield or something else having to do the picking right the cloying quagmire casting value of a five and a range of 14 the range kind of stinks to me here but this is where you'd probably want to engage in a spell portal situation sure or there are other magikin of nurgle mortal wizards who you know maybe want to be in combat i don't know like some big sort of brother combination of things. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cloying Quagmire is casting five. That's assuming there is such a thing. Right, such a thing. It's just theoretical, of course. Yeah, range of 14. (laughs) If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible the caster, roll a dice. If the roll is equal to or higher than the unit's save characteristic, until your next hero phase, have that unit's move characteristics and subtract two from run and charge rolls for that unit. It's deeply situational. It relies on a singular dice roll, but your payoff can be pretty high. So Cloying Quagmire, Mm -hmm. and then what else? And the other one I'll take is probably Blades. Casting value of a 7 and a range of 14. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Magikin of Nurgle unit. So this one can also be Demons. Okay. There's one Demon unit that likes it a lot. (laughs) Plague Drones. Until your next hero phase, each attack made with a missile weapon or a melee weapon by that unit inflicts one Mm -hmm. disease point on the target unit on an unmodified hit roll of a 5 or a 6. There you go. Okay, that was one of my choices. Yeah. And then the other one was Rancid Visitations. Now Mm. this one... It's very situational, just like the other one was we talked about, which affects horde units. Because this one, again, Rancid Visitations is a spell. Has the casting value of 6, range of 7. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, visible to the caster. Roll one die for each model in that unit within range. On a 2-up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Now, again... Yeah, the range is junk. Is junk. But, again, if you cast that on my Brick of Wolves... 
on a two up for every model? Holy crap, you would just wipe that unit out. Well, I mean, you, you do it. a lot of damage. Yeah. In that instance that you've proposed, they're likely to do 24 mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. You know, of which you will save six of them, four mm-hmm. of them. It's almost 20 mortals. So it's 10 wolves. Yeah. That's a pretty big... It's a good chunk. ...punch, yeah. They used to go 20, you're right. Mm. But still, it, it's scary to think that I would have to roll those dice to make those saves against that many mortals. I mean, but it is models within range, right? Right. So seven inches. So the likelihood that you're going to get all 30 wolves within seven inches right. of some of these bases is pretty limited. But again, if there was theoretically some like big caster on top of, you know, a, a large monster creature <laughs> that wanted to be in combat that also had the mortal keyword, you know, that... Yeah, yeah. But such a thing is... Is theoretical. Of course. We, <laughs> we've never seen this in Nurgle. No, of course not. <laughs> All right, so that's my second choice besides Blades. Okay. All right, buddy. We can move on then to sub-factions. Mm-hmm. And we've got three. Again, we got Blessed Sons, Drowned Men, and Filthbringers. Yeah. Which one would you like to start with? I think there's one that's head and shoulders better than the rest of them okay. in terms of competitive play, and that is the Drowned Men. Mm-hmm. After deployment, but before the first battle round begins, you can move each friendly Lord of Affliction and Pusco or Blight Lords units uh, up to eight inches. If both players can move units before the first battle round, you roll off and the winner chooses who moves their units first. Mm. Yeah, that's 16 inches because they're going to move eight to begin with. And, and for an army that's really slow... That's amazing. ...to be able to start going forward early mm-hmm. is not a bad thing. No, not at all. And you know when you consider that they are two models, fine... But when you take Drowned Men, the Puscoil Blight Lords become battle line, mm-hmm. and it's 220 points for the two of them. And when we talk about that War Scroll, you're going to see that the durability on those two guys, or you know, you take a reinforcement point and you make them four, or you're a crazy person and you make them six, and now you actually have to deal with coherency. But you're not going to do that. But to get those four up and moving and downrange to engage with targets early is going to be absolutely kind of important yeah that's great then we have uh, blessed sons which is the black king's one yep and if a friendly blessed sons mortal model is slain within one inch of an enemy unit before removing that model from play pick one enemy unit within one inch of that model and roll a number of dice equal to the wounds characteristic of that model for each six give it a disease point Meh. okay not a big fan of that one no. just because it's a dice roll for a chance at another dice roll <laughs> the last one I think it's very interesting, and I'm not super sure how I feel about it yet. Okay. This is the Filthbringers. Yes. This is the... This is the wizard one. Rot this is the Rotbringer Sorcerer subfaction. Yep. By taking Filthbringers, you can include Rot Covens in your army. At the start of the hero phase... Well, and sorry, a Rot Coven is three Rotbringer Sorcerers. Yes. That you actually get a discount for purchasing all three. Yep. It is a total of 360... You're paying 120 a pop for mm-hmm. these guys. Yeah, yeah, so I think it's like a 20, 25-point deduction mm-hmm. on any of them. Yep. Which is cool, but you then have to take three Rotbringer Sorcerers, and those yeah. are three slots that you're using to take not other heroes. Right. You pick one wizard from each Rot Coven in your army... Add one to the casting and binding dispelling rolls for that wizard in that phase. Add two instead of one if that wizard is within three inches of one other wizard from the same rock coven. Add three instead of one if that wizard is within three inches of the two other wizards from the same rock coven. Mm-hmm. So this is cool. This is neat. This is interesting. How it plays out 
mm-hmm. I am unsure because to get the greatest benefit from it, you have to have these three casters that are just, just kind of huddled up together. A little Nurgle triangle. Yeah. Yep. And while it <clears throat> makes some of the higher casting values a little more palatable. Yes, because we talked about how seven for casting is just all over this book. Mm-hmm. Makes it a little more palatable. You're also having to keep three Ropringer sorcerers right next to each other. The other issue we have with that, Brendan, is we talked about how the mortal lore spells are okay. They're not great. There's nothing in here that just pops out and say, I have to have that on my list of things I have to do. So it's like, do you want to invest that 360 points when you don't have a lot of really good choices in here in terms of the lore? So what I would actually be doing with that is a little bit different. Okay. I would have... One caster mm-hmm. whose job is to cast Emerald Life Swarm. Okay, perfect. That's it. That's their job. Yeah. Get Life Swarm out there. Get the healing done. Get the recovering of models done. Get Life Swarm on the board. Okay. Caster number two's job is to get the spell portal on the board. Mm-hmm. Caster number three's job is to cast Rancid Visitations through the portal. Sure. But again, that makes sense. That's three yeah. dice rolls. Yes. Now they're all plus three, which is pretty good. Yeah. But is that combination of activities worth the 360 points plus the portal? Plus the spell. Plus the life swarm. Right. You know, that's easily. 500 points. Easily. Easily a fourth of your army. Yep. Is that worth it? Mm. I'm not sure. Because if you can set it up and you can position all that right in a meta that where you can do enough damage with Mm -hmm. that coven, sure. If you're playing four giants, that combination of things is absolutely useless. (laughs) Ooh, thanks for the one mortal wound. It's interesting to me. I don't know necessarily if it's the backbone or the core of something meaningful, but it's different. It's a different design space. It's a different way of looking at the game that I think is good as a whole. Mm-hmm. War Scrolls. Well, the first one we come to this mortals, it is so interesting. I don't remember I this book. unit at all. No, I mean, this is the one we were talking about theoretically yeah. we'd love to have, wouldn't we? You've never seen them before. This is so exciting for all my friends who have Glotkin models. I'm just glad to see well, I'm glad here. you're excited for me, Dan. I, I am. And for our buddy Nick, you know, I just, I think it's so cool. And before we even talk about the War Scroll, the fact that this big bubba now has a five-up ward is just insane. That's great. You, you talked about Emerald Light Swarm. He's a, a He's a locus. Loci. He's going to be healing 2, 3, D3, like every turn without even thinking twice. Yeah. It's just amazing. There's going to be opportunities for him to heroic recovery. Oh my gosh. He's, oh, he's just going to be... Now, he does come <clears throat> in at a oh. very hefty... Wow. 700 points. Now, this is the question. You know, when I look at something else that's 700 points... I just can't see that being right. In all fairness, with all the adjustments they made up to the dragons, I think he needs to be like 100 points cheaper or something to make it fair. I guess that's the word I want to use. I don't know. I think, and we'll talk about what his war scroll and everything does. Okay. I think at 700 points, he's probably about right. Okay. So, the war scroll. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. The glotkin. Five-inch move, corpse save, bravery nine, 20 wounds. And remember, there's a five-up ward after that. Mm -hmm. They have the gut spray missile weapon attack, which is a 12-inch range. It's seven attacks down to four. Threes by threes, rend two, damage one. You have Girk's tentacle, which is a range three-inch. It's four attacks down to one. Threes by twos, rend two, damage three. Mm -hmm. The maws, one-inch range attack. Three attacks, threes by twos, rend two, damage three. Pretty good. And then his scythe, 
One inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage D3. Okay. Good damage potential, useful. It's a war master. They're a two cast, two unbind wizard. Yeah, not bad. No. These next two rules, I think, is where the 700 point payoff comes in. Okay. The first of which is the Blight Krieg rule. That's really good. You can use this command ability at the end of the enemy movement phase. If this unit is within 12 inches of an enemy unit, the command must be issued by this unit and must be received by another friendly Maggotkin of Nurgle unit that is within 12 inches of an enemy unit. This unit and the unit that received the command can attempt to charge. There is nothing more frustrating than out of phase movements. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Now, this is a very different kind of out-of-phase movement. It potentially pins your opponents in somewhere where they don't want to be. Maybe they were planning on trying to land a charge to threaten an objective, to contest something. Maybe they felt secure, you know, kind of on an objective, and you charging in is potentially going to risk their control of that objective. Mm-hmm. Right? Out-of-phase charging, things like that. So now that you've made contact, you know, with the enemy, the next rule, horrific opponent is the next thing that is interesting. Things that disrupt your opponent's ability to play the game in the way in which that they would like to. At the start of the enemy movement phase, you must roll 2d6 for each enemy unit within three inches of this unit. If the roll is equal to or greater than the unit's bravery characteristic, that unit must retreat in that phase or it suffers d6 mortal wounds. Now there are gonna be times where your opponent is sitting there going, I can't take D6 mortal wounds. I need this thing here. Because mm-hmm. it could be one, could be six, mm-hmm. could be three, could be four. Yeah. Dice rolls that disrupt your opponent's opportunity to do what they'd like to do. Now, Brendan, let's roll back around to the Blight Creek thing. Mm-hmm. So if I had a unit, I had a unit that was in within, let's say, nine inches of a fox for example, Mm -hmm. I could actually be able to charge them then using this. Correct. When before I wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. They'd move out in the shooting phase though. All right. Because foxes are dumb. Right. Because yeah, it's at the end of the enemy movement phase. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. But yes, you are correct in that you would be able to get in range of other units that sometimes you wouldn't normally be able to. Okay. He has Mountain of Loathsome Flesh, which is the same as what the Great Unclean Ones have, except it it starts at a five and it reduces down to two. Mm -hmm. They have Abundance of Flesh, which is the spell. It's (laughs) casting value of a six, range of 14. Pick one friendly Magkin of Nurgle Mortal unit within range, not wholly within range. And visible to the caster, add one to the wounds characteristic of that unit until your next hero phase. If we do that, we're going to talk about Blight Kings, Blight Lords. And that's it. Oh, but I mean... Adding, or the heroes. Or the heroes, yeah. But adding one to either one of those units for a turn, that'd be really good. And actually, in those cases, they would tip up, in the case of Blight Kings, to five wounds apiece, which mean they would score as two models on objectives if you're able that to get... That is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> It's so good. Oh, I didn't. I never even thought that. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to surmise that the Glotkin is probably closer to correct at 700 than he would be okay. to correct at 600. Fair enough. With some of those specific things pulled in. Mm-hmm. The yes. value there. Yeah, yeah when, you, when you talk about the whole context, because it's not just the damage components of it. It's not just the durability component of it. Yeah, it's not just the speed. Huge. The ability of this War Scroll to actively disrupt your opponent is Mm. real absolutely yeah Yeah. very nice very very nice next up you've got the three magath lords all three of them are good all three of them are worth taking all three of them do something slightly different i love these models and these war scrolls i love this 
Can I start with one? I'm gonna yeah, pick pick whichever I'm one you like. I'm gonna pick the one that is the Nurgling one. Mm-hmm. I, I like Morbidex twice born. So he's 320, yep. Orgots is 300. And then you have Blobe, who is 300. 300, yep. They're all kind of in that 300-ish range. Right, and Morbidex has the least number of wounds. He has 12. He has anywhere from 8 to 5-inch movement, so a little faster. He has a 3-up save, 3-up, which is really nice. And then he has uh, 9 bravery. He has tongues, slabberous tongues, which is 7-inch range, 3 attacks, 3 to hit, 2 down to 5 to wound, minus 1 ren, 1 damage. He has the Flesh Reaper Scythe, which is one inch, five attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage, and then Monstrous Claws, which go from five down to two. It's three by twos, three by twos, wow. Minus two, three damage. That could do some hurt. Do some damage. That could do some hurt. Lore-wise, this guy is supposed to be like a Nurgling buddy, you know, that kind of thing. The first thing is, at the end of the Battle Shock phase, heal half of the wounds that have been allocated to this unit. And Brendan, he combined that with some things that could give him healing, Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That Already he's got that five-up ward. He's got a three-up save, Brendan. Yep. You can take that down to two-up easily. So I'm going to laugh at your, your minus two rend. He's going to be pretty tough to move. He's going to be tough to move. So you take eight wounds off him. You're going to heal four back. And you're gonna maybe you're gonna heal you know more uh, back later on. It's just really neat. Then the other thing I love about this is the Lord of Nurglings. At the start of your hero phase, you can return one slain model to one friendly Nurgling swarm within seven inches of this unit. So let's say we talked about Nurglings. You know what? You got a unit of three around him or unit of six. Let's say you do that. They are going to be really tough to get rid of. You're going to have to kill two of them completely to get rid of those two. Because if you don't, they're going to get one back and then the other one's going to heal. Yeah. So they're going to be really, they're going to become as resilient as he is, which I think is really fun for one of these guys. And, you know, again, you're going to have to play into that and make that choice to play into that. Yeah, tough little sucker, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Tough to get rid of. All right. So that's my first choice. So my favorite is Orgot's Demon Spew. Yes. And he was my favorite in Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and I have some incredible <laughs> stories about him single-handedly winning some games. So you have an Orgots model. Then. I do. Okay. He's just on a rectangle, so that- I think he's going to earn his circle here yes. with this War Scroll. Absolutely. Eight-inch move, down to five. Three-up save, bravery nine, 14 wounds. His grasping tongue attack is range seven. One attack, threes to hit. Table, twos to fives to wound. Rend one, damage d6. Hmm. Cool. He's got the rod axes, which are one inch range, seven attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. And his claws, which is one inch range, five attacks down to two, threes by twos, rend two, damage three. Okay. And those are pretty much the same, the claws on Mm -hmm. all three of these megathors. Yeah, their profiles are all extremely similar. He is a war master. Cool. He has Acid Icor. If an unmodified ward roll for this unit is a six, you can pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit. That enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Okay. And then he is the Lord of Nurgle. Once per turn, this unit can issue command to friendly mortal magikin of Nurgle unit without a command point being spent. Free command point. Yeah. Cool unit. Take does it. a cool thing. You know, costs a reasonable amount of points. And then you've got Blob, who is potentially the best of the three of them. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about him? Sure. Yeah, he's your wizard on a beast, and he's 13 wounds. He's got the 8-inch down to 5 move. 4-up save instead of a 3-up like the other two. 9 bravery. He's a wizard. You know, he's not quite as tough. He's got the vile bile. 
ranged attack is 14 inches, D3 attacks, threes by two down to five, uh, minus two and D3 damage. The Harvestman's Scythe was one inch, three attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage. And then the Monstrous Claws we've talked about, other War Scrolls. Mm-hmm. He ha- does have a mount, it says. Yeah, of course it he does. His Bile Spurter, it's called. <laughs> um, he's one spell caster. And then Demon Flies is one of his first special rule at the start of the combat phase and the enemy shooting phase. So that's twice. Uh, roll a dice for each enemy unit within seven inches of this unit on a four up. That unit suffers one mortal wound and subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by the enemy unit in that phase. Damn, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. That's for every enemy unit within seven. Yeah. Every single for unit. each enemy unit within seven. Yes. Minus now, one to hit. Granted, it's only a four up. Mm-hmm. However, it's every single unit. Mm-hmm. Pretty sharp. Windspeaker Bells is his next one. Add one to casting rolls for this unit. And in addition, subtract one from casting rolls for enemy wizards that are within 14 inches of this unit. Okay, good. Plus one to cast. Never a bad thing. Yeah, handing then, out a minus one. Yeah. It's a smaller range than you'd probably like, but yeah. hey, whatever. You know, he's not exactly a hero that's afraid of being near things. No, especially on that fun beast that he's on. Yeah. The Miasma of Pestilence is his spell. Has a casting value of six, I mean five, <laughs> and a range of 14. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range invisible to the caster until your next hero phase. Roll a dice at the end of each phase in which any wounds or mortal wounds were allocated to that unit. On a two-up, they suffer D3 additional mortal wounds. You can really do some damage. Absolutely. You can do damage in the hero phase. Mm-hmm. You can do damage in the movement phase in this book. Mm-hmm. You can do damage in the shooting phase. <laughs> you can do damage in the charge phase. Yes. And you can do damage in the combat phase. And you can do damage in the battle shock phase. Oh, that's amazing. And that's until your next hero phase. Now, you're probably not going to do damage in their hero phase. You're probably not going to do damage in their movement phase. You're probably not going to do damage to them in their shooting phase or their charge phase, but you're still going to do damage to them in the combat phase and the battle shock phase. In your turn, if there's something that you really need taking a bunch of mortal wounds that really needs to go down, mm-hmm. Blobe is very effective. Like, Blobe is, of the three of them, I think, the best one. Okay. Just all of the force multiplier abilities that you end up eating on his War Scroll is incredible. Okay, awesome. Yeah, all three of these guys, as you said at the beginning are really good mm-hmm. they're I, I would love to take an army with just when I mean, it's 900 points but man it would be, It'd be so cool. much fun it'd be great great looking the three of them plus the glockkin is would be a really cool brew city list it'd be great how about that it would be it'd be really cool mm-hmm. coolio so that's those guys and why don't you talk about this next guy because he just seems He's not an auto-take. Nothing is an auto-take. But, but he's he, pretty close. He's he's so reliable and so useful in this moral side of the book. So talk about the Lord of Afflictions for us. Yeah, so the Lord of Afflictions is a hero that was a really good deliverer of the Rustfang before and is now going to be a unit you're going to see taken probably quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for the Rustfang anymore, but just because he's a good unit that supports what it is that you're trying to do. Yep. 8-inch move, 3-up save, bravery 9, 8 wounds. He's got his Fester Spike, which is a 1-inch range, 4 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage D3. And then the mounts, the flies, 1-inch range, 6 attacks, 3s by 3s, no rend, damage 1. He has his Fester Spike. You can also give it an Incubatch. An Incubatch is 
in your hero phase, you roll a dice for each unit within three inches of this unit. On a two-up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. If that unit has the Nurgle keyword, it instead suffers one mortal wound on a six. Okay. Cool. It's AOE splash. Combining this with what I was talking about with like the flesh peeler and the living plague, you're going to have the opportunity to just chuck out a bunch of damage because he's on like a 60. Mm -hmm. A good size base fits into some smaller areas has the ability to to sit in an area and do some damage. He has impact hits, so after this unit finishes a charge move, you roll a dice for each enemy unit within one inches of them. Add two to the roll if this unit is armed with a Dolores Toxin. On a four up, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Mm -hmm. You're obviously going to give it the bell, because why wouldn't you? Of course. And he's got the rule, the swarm descends. Here we go. This is the first of two rules that give this army some mobility where it lacks it otherwise. Mm. Yep. And pairing this with Drowned Men, where you're mm-hmm. going to pre-game move up some Puscola Blight Lords, I think this is, you would bring, you're probably going to end up bringing drones with him. Now you can okay. take Blight Lords too, because they're battle line. You could take an all fly rider army if you want. It would be totally legit. So during deployment, instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say that it's set up hovering in the sky as a reserve unit. If you do so, when you would set up a friendly Puscoa Blightlord or Plague Drone unit during deployment, that unit can join this unit, hovering in the sky as a reserve unit. Up to two Puscoa Blightlords or Plague Drone units in any combination can join the unit. At the end of the movement phase, you can set up this unit on the battlefield more than nine from all enemy units. If you do so, set up all the units that join the unit on the battlefield wholly within 12 inches of this unit and more than nine from all enemy units. The ability to attack from multiple angles, kind of important for a slow army. Yeah. So. Yeah, deep strike away. And so you can take two units with him. Okay. Yes. Yep. Two so units. It doesn't specify size, so it could be a regular unit of two, or you can upgrade to four, or whatever you want to yeah, do. Yeah, you, with the blight. You want to go to six. Yeah. Cool. Go. This is one where you could take the, the droning guard and take a unit of nine plague drones if you Ooh. if you felt like an <laughs> insane person. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, he's he is just so so useful. Now the next one is the second, we're going to talk about the rule, but it's the second Deep Strike character that gives you that ability with, with this army. And this is Gutrot Spume, so he's a named character. Mm-hmm. Eight wounds, four up save, nine bravery, four inch move. He's got Flailing Tentacles, which are part of his Gift of Nurgle. It's uh, six attacks, two by fours, no rend, one damage. And then he has the Rot Poxed Axe, one inch, four attacks, three by twos, minus one D3 damage. He has Towering Arrogance. Add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this unit that targets a hero. In addition, if this unit is within one inch of an enemy hero, all the attacks this unit makes must target a hero. Okay. I don't know that I'm going to put him in combat too much, but what the heck. He's not terrible. No. Because he's got a ward save, right? Yes, he does. Now he does. So the next thing is Master the Slime Fleet. That's beautiful. During deployment, instead of setting this unit up on the battlefield, you can set it up to one side and say it's set up aboard the Slime Fleet as a reserve unit. If you do so, when you would set up another friendly mortal Magakin unit during the deployment, you can say it is joining this unit aboard the Slime Fleet as a reserve unit. Up to three mortal Magakin units can join this unit. Units that have been reinforced count as two units. Okay. At the end of your movement phase, you can set up this unit on the battlefield, more than nine inches from enemy units, wholly within six inches of the board edge. So you have to, you have that limitation with this guy, where you didn't with the Lord of Afflictions, I don't believe. Right. Okay. If you do so, set up all the units that join this unit on the battlefield wholly within 12 inches of this unit, more than nine from all enemy units, and like we said, within six of the uh, battlefield edge. Again, it gives you another option, Brendan, for bringing stuff in. It's great. Yeah. 
Really nice. Attack from all angles. It's, yeah. You just don't know where it's coming from, and that's wonderful. All right, how about this next buddy? Brandon, why don't you talk about the Lord of Blights for us? The Lord of Blights is one of the two foot heroes that does buffing for Blight Kings. So the Lord of Blights is 4-inch move, 3-up save, bravery 9, 7 wounds. He's got a ranged attack, the Thrice Ripened Deathhead, which is a 7-inch range. And then the attack's characteristic is equal to the number of models in the target unit, up to a maximum of 7. Because if there wasn't a cap, that would be pretty bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Threes to hit, threes to wound, rend 1, damage 1. Pretty alright. He's got his hammer, 1-inch range, 4 attacks, 3 by 3s rend 1, damage 2. And he has the Munificent Bounty, which allows him to give one friendly Putrid Blight King's model within seven inches of him. Also, the Thrice Ripened Deathhead's attack. That's great. You know, nice. that's cool. It keeps kind of a, a limit, you know, on the craziness. He is the Lord of the Blight Kings, as a Lord of Blights may be. So in the combat phase, when you pick him to fight, you can pick a friendly Putrid Blight King's unit wholly within 12 inches. That has not fought yet to fight. Uh, one after the other in the order of your choice. That's okay. fine. You know, like, he's a character that probably going to do all right in combat. You're probably not super enthusiastic to be throwing him into the thick of some really crazy stuff, but getting the Blight Kings to join in with him. Yeah, really nice. Affordable. Just a good unit. Yeah. This next one, I love the model. The more I look at Festus, it's just so funny in a kind of a sick, twisted Nurgle way. Yeah. Tell us about Festus. What's going on with him? So Festus is another named character. He is a caster of sorts. Four-inch move, five-up save, bravery seven, six wounds. He's got his plague staff, which is a three-inch reach, three attacks, fours by threes, no rend, damage D3, classic wizard. He's a one-cast, one-unbind. He has his delightful bruise and splendid restoratives. (laughs) At the start of your hero phase, you can pick one unit within one inch of this unit. If you pick a friendly unit on a two-up, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to that unit. If you pick an enemy unit, you roll a dice, and on a two-up, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. The reason you take him is his spell. The Leech Lord's Curse has a casting value of a 7 and a range of 14. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range invisible to the caster. Subtract one from save rolls for attacks that target that unit for the rest of the battle. The same unit cannot be affected by the spell more than once. Okay. Yeah, it costs you a 7 to roll, but that's pretty good. Yeah. For the rest of the game? Yeah, for the rest of the game. So, I mean, there's a ceiling in the number of times you can cast it. There's a ceiling on your ability to actually, you know, get the spell off. He's 150 points. He's also a mortal wizard. And he's a locust, too, is he not? Yes. I believe he's a locust. So Mm -hmm. you're getting something for those 140 points. Yeah. He's very multi-purpose, for sure. Swiss Army knife of Nurgle, I guess. And then you've got the Harbinger of Decay up next, Dan, which you've, you're very high on. I, I really like him. I, I love the model because it reminds me of the Nazgul on horses from mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings, at least the way it's painted up. So he's seven wounds, three up save, three up, six inch move, so he moves a little faster, and eight inch bravery. He has two profiles, both one inch range. He has three attacks, three by threes, minus one D3, and then four attacks, four by fours, one, which is a typical mount. Uh, he has the Augur of Entropy. If any friendly units with this ability are within seven inches of your general at the start of the first battle round, you receive D3 extra command points, not the other kind Not of CPs. Things. Yeah. <laughs> nice. There's nothing wrong with that. And even if you brought a bunch of these, you only cap out at just D3. Yeah. At least there's a limit. Yeah. The next one is kind of nice, although it's on a dice roll, as you pointed out earlier. At the start of the combat phase, pick one, and this is called Shutterblade. Mm-hmm. So at the start of the combat phase... 
Pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit and roll a die. On a three up, that unit cannot issue or receive commands in that phase. That's kind of scary to think about that you have that ability from this model. Yeah, he's 140 points. And just like the Lord of Blights, he's not a bad unit to be in the thick of things. Sure. You're not throwing him unaided into the teeth of your you know, your opponent's deadliest unit. And both of them have a three up, five up save. Correct. Yeah, pretty durable. Again, you know, that three up too, it's not a four up, it's a three up. And that's relatively reliable for taking away that ability to receive or give commands. Mm -hmm. So very nice. And then, well, we've got a few more, a couple more, because we're not going to really talk. There's two for the Underworlds. Right, the two that are for that, the Fecula and then the Wormspat. We're not going to talk about those, but they are in here. What about the Rotbringer Sorcerer? This is the one you were talking about with the... Yeah, with uh, the Coven. Yep, the Coven. Rotbringer Sorcerers are your mortal wizards, mm-hmm. and they got a... This is the only new model in the book. <laughs> Much needed. Four-inch move, five-up save, bravery seven, six wounds. You know, he's got his staff, range three inches, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage one. What a wimpy wizard. <laughs> Why not do the D3 the rest of your wizards do? One cast, one unbind. They have tainted endless spells. So if they summon an endless spell, it's treated as a unit in the Maggotkin of Nurgle keyword. So they can hand out disease. Well, this is, you had talked about using endless spells with these guys too in the coven. Yes. So there you go. Another vector. Mm -hmm. And then they have Stream of Corruption, which is a casting value of a six, range of seven. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range, invisible the caster. Roll one dice for each model in that unit that is within range of the caster. For each five up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. You can elevate it to a range of 14 inches, but it inflicts one mortal wound for each roll of a six instead of a five. You're taking them because it's a inexpensive mortal wizard. Mm-hmm. And you're looking to achieve something very specific with it. Sure. Okay, then the last one here is Lord of Plagues. Lord of Plagues are really, 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 really good. Are they really good, Brendan? Yes. Okay. Seven wounds, bravery seven, four inch move, four up save. Has one great blade, one inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus one D3. Now, first special rule, Rotten Corpse Mulch. You receive one contagion point for each enemy unit that's destroyed by an attack made by this unit. Fine, whatever. Okay, yeah, which isn't going to happen too often unless you're getting desperate. Okay, sevenfold slaughter. At the start of the combat phase, you can pick one friendly putrid blight king's unit that's wholly within 12 inches of this unit and it has not yet fought in the phase. Add one to the attacks characteristic of melee weapons. Used by that unit. But they've already got five attacks, Brendan. Mm-hmm. They're going to have six freaking... A unit's going to have 30 freaking attacks. <laughs> that's awesome. It's not a command point. No. It's just it's, an ability. That's it. It's free. It costs you nothing. You can have one of these escort every unit of Blight Kings. Now they're 250 points for five. But you could have one of these escort every unit of Blight Kings if you so chose. Mm-hmm. And just change their profile permanently mm. for the game that they're in there. Lord of the Blight Kings is the other special rule in the combat phase. When you pick this unit to fight for the first time in that phase, you can pick one friendly putrid Blight Kings unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit and that is not yet fought in that phase. This unit and that putrid Blight Kings unit can fight one after the other in the order of your choice. So this is what you were just talking about. Have them escort that unit and basically that unit and this model are attacking together as one. Yeah. Which is really, really cool. Fecula is basically just a slightly varied Rotbringer Sorcerer, and the Wormspat are basically just bodyguard versions of Blight Kings. Yep, that's it. 
And now we get to the huge collection of troops for the mortals. Yeah. Which are two of them. Yes, all two. All which, of that for these two. What would you like to talk about? I would like to talk about the Blight Lords. Okay, then I'll do Blight Kings. They're the walkie-talkie guys. They have four wounds, four-inch move, four-up save, eight bravery. They're blighted weapons, one-inch range, five attacks, three-by-threes, minus one, one damage. They have a champion... Has a wound characteristic of five. The standard bear, one in every five models, add one to the bravery characteristic, so it'd be up to a nine. And then musician, one in every five. Reroll battle shock rolls of one for enemy units if they're within six. Okay. Relentless attackers. At the end of the combat phase, pick one enemy unit with a wounds characteristic of three or less that's within three inches of this unit. Roll one die for each model in this unit that's within three inches of that enemy unit. For each roll that exceeds the enemy unit's wound characteristic, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. You know, and Blight Lords have this too. I mean, that's nice, but really, Brendan, you're only going to have units of probably five or, you know, with Blight Lords two or four. It's not going to do a whole lot of mortal wounds. No. I mean, it's something. It's just extra damage. It's Yeah, it's some chip damage. It's all right. If you can kick them up to six attacks each, woof, man. And they're just going to be rolling out some disease points as well with that many attacks. You're going to really be stacking up disease. Yeah. So, very nice. And there are plenty of ways to buff these duders. With a four-up save... Five up ward. Yep. You know, you're reliably handing out one disease point per Blight King every combat phase. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it's just going to add up over time, just going to do damage. It's just going to be there. They're just going to do wounds, mortal wounds, and they're not going to go anywhere. Okay. Pusco of Blight Lords come in at 220 points Ooh. for the two of them. You can take individuals of them because. They come in the same kit that builds Lords of Afflictions. Right. So you're going to have spare ones sitting around. They're 8-inch move, 4-up save, bravery 8, 8 wounds, still with a 5-up. There are a lot of attacks. <laughs> they are Blight Kings, so 1-inch range, 5 attacks, 3s by 3s, rend 1, damage 1. On flies, which is 1-inch range, 6 attacks, 3s by 3s, no rend, damage 1. They also include Relentless Attackers, and they have Rack and Rune, so this is Impact Hits. Same as the Lord of Afflictions, where you roll a dice, adding two if they have the toxin. On a four-up, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Because it's a multiple-size unit, you roll as you complete each impact, and then Mm -hmm. you resolve at the end of it. You're looking at, on average, two disease points per Blightlord every combat phase. On top of whatever their damage is, they're going to do some level of impact hit. They're going to do some level of relentless attacker, typically. It's... 16 wounds for the 220 points. It takes eight wounds to get one. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. It is. Yep. That's it, Brendan. It's pretty good. That's good for the mortal half. You know, yep. we'll talk about our grand strategies and tactics and battalions here real quick. We'll go back. We have, uh, what, four grand strategies mm-hmm. and uh, six battle tactics, tactics yep. and two battalions. Yeah. Your grand strategies here. And just like we talked about a little bit earlier in the show, I think overwhelmingly you're just going to end up with the ones that are in the General's Handbook. The generic and, ones, yeah. Yeah. Really? So the first one is Corrupt Arcane Nexus. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If a friendly Magikin of Nurgle wizard is within three inches of the center of the battlefield and no enemy units are within six inches of the center of the battlefield. Why not just take Price Sorcery? Yeah. Yep. Keep them alive. Yes. Yep. 
So the next one is Tend the Garden. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are no enemy units within three inches of any feculent narmal in your army, and there is a feculent narmal in your army wholly within your opponent's territory. That's pretty conditional. And since your opponent knows what this is, all they've got to do is sneak a unit within three inches of one of your normals, and you don't get your grand strategy. Or knock them down. Or, not, or, or kill them. Or keep them out of your territory. Yeah. Or if there is one, yeah, you go over and stomp on it. I think that one's really risky. Very risky if you're, since your opponent knows about it. Spread rampant disease. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if every enemy unit on the battlefield has at least one disease point. I mean, it's doable. Of the four of them, I think that's the most achievable one. But again, great unclean ones are a unit that you can purchase. Yeah. Take prize sorcery. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah, for sure. All right, and the last one, Blessed Desecration. You can pick this grand strategy only if the model picked to be your general has the mortal keyword. Okay. If you do so, after deployment, pick one terrain feature that is wholly within enemy territory. If no terrain features are wholly within enemy territory, you can pick any terrain feature. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you control that terrain feature. I mean, it's just like Predator's Domain. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Same thing. Yep. Okay, then we got battle tactics. Mm -hmm. First up is feed the maggots. You complete this tactic if at least seven enemy models are slain by disease rolls during this turn. High risk, high reward. You know, if you know that that turn you're going to get a lot, you're probably going to get a lot of disease points across an army which has a lot of units that are eligible to be removed. Sure. Yeah. No problem. Go for it. Good one to have in your pocket. You know, you're playing a game against, I don't know, some sort of low model count monster army of some variety, then... This is not one that you're going to take. Right. Okay, nurture the normal. Pick one normal in your army that's within 12 inches of any enemy units. You complete this tactic if that normal is more than 12 inches from all enemy units at the end of the turn. I don't know, that's doable. I like this one. Especially if there's only one unit within a normal. And it's a couple of models or something like that. Just sweep them away and you got it. Yeah. Yeah, that's not too bad. Gifts of Nurgle. You complete this tactic if all friendly units that were on the battlefield at the start of this turn inflict at least one disease point on at least one enemy unit during this turn. I don't like that one at all. Unless that there's a situation where you really don't have a lot of models left. Okay, the next one's Glory to the Grandfather. You complete this tactic at the end of this turn if more enemy units than friendly units are destroyed during this turn. Okay. Very achievable. Yeah. You just have to look at the battlefield and see where you are. Mm-hmm. The droning, you complete this tactic if there is a different friendly unit with a rot fly mount in each quarter of the battlefield at the end of this turn. That's very doable. Yeah. It really is. I mean, if you... If your army is built that way. Right. If you are Blight Lords and um, play drones, then you, you got a good chance at that. Sudden Domination is the last one. You complete this tactic if you summon a great unclean one to the battlefield during this turn. It is within three inches of an objective that you control in your opponent's territory at the end of the turn. I don't like that one just because... It's basically impossible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 30 points too, man. That's tough. This is the I'm winning by so much battle tactic that I'm just going to do this to prove how much I'm winning by. (laughs) Just to be a jerk. Yeah. (laughs) Not only did I beat you, I didn't need to use any of my summoning points throughout the entirety of this game, and I blew it all. I have nothing but contempt for you. I'm using this. Yeah. (laughs) That's bad. All right. So we have two core battalions. Why don't you talk about the befoulment? Yes, yeah, one of these is better than the others. So the, thri- the thricefold befoulment is three mandatory great unclean ones, and you gain the extra enhancement. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and the next one is clearly better. Uh, this is the rotbringer cyst. Mm. You have to take great. one mandatory, two optional. Mm. You have to take 
leaders that have a wound characteristics are 10 or less. So no Magath right, Lords. Right. Of less no than 10. It's actually less than 10. So then you have three mandatory troops and you have three optional troops. And you get what two whole choices. It's either Blight Kings or Blight Lords. But you can make this a one-drop army. Yes. That is clearly amazing. I think it really is. Yeah, so I really like that one because it opens up more troop options than the regular unified mm-hmm. choice that you get in the core rules. Chances are you're going to have, you know, Lords of Blights primarily or Lords of Plagues. Yeah. But a Lord of Affliction fits in here as well. Yes. Your sorcerers fit in here as well. It's just everything but the Glot King and the Magath Lords that fit into this Rotbringer Cyst. And there's nothing to say you can't bring one of those and just make it a two-drop army if yeah. you really want. The the trade in this is you could just take the regular battle regiment and then include one of those bigger ones. Then you get two of the smaller ones, and then you only get five of the troops. Mm-hmm. How often you're going to get up to six, unclear, unsure, but that's how you would drive that to a one-drop. Sure. I mean, that's you're talking somewhere between twelve and 1,500 points uh, for troops there if you fill all the spots just a few yeah (laughs) three quarters of your army that's the book yeah that is the book dan what are your thoughts on this i really like the way this book was written i like the unique nature of some of the rules i like the interactions i like the fact that they really maybe unintentionally but they broke it out so you have multiple ways to build effective armies whether you take a demon or a mortal army now they can be good they can be effective and, and win you games. Uh, there's still some synergies that you can move some stuff back and forth, but I think they're encouraging you to make a choice. Mm-hmm. I was talking about the disease thing to you earlier and how Slanesh is going to love that disease mechanic because you're probably, in most cases, not going to wipe a unit out with it. And every time you damage a unit but don't kill it, Slanesh is just going, hey, bring it. Bring it. I want those I want yeah, those summoning points. A, a very specific summoning interaction. <laughs> right. Yes. But it's just like, I'm, I'm going to love this when I see that, that Nurgle army across from me. I love what they did with the larger units, like the Glotkin. That is such a really cool war scroll now. Really mm-hmm. special and very unique. Um, something that I think people are going to want to take again. Because you just didn't see him that much when you saw Nurgle. You really didn't. It was very unusual for people to take him for a very long time. And I think now he's going to be back in back in, back in fashion. Yeah. yeah, Lots of fun stuff here. Lots of really cool options. And I don't know. I, I just really like how this book looks and how the army looks like it's going to play. I'm really anxious to see some battle reports with these guys and see what they do. What about yourself? I wish I was speaking from a place of experience for this. Sure. Just to kind of see how my initial thoughts compared to you know what i end up seeing this army actually feels like nurgle now mm-hmm. where before it was very fast it was not very nurgly it's slow it's extremely durable mm. the disease mechanics that should be interacting with it are are quite good the wheel plays into exactly those things I don't think this is a book that is going to immediately be jumping to the 5-0 and o categorization, Mm-mm. but I've seen and heard some identification of this army as a squarely 3-2 and two army. I just don't see that. Right? Like I think you're going to be able to write very capable lists that are going to live in that 3-2 mm. and two category, but a patient player, one who understands that the majority of your army is very slow and recognizes that you have to have 
forward elements to contain your opponent's army so that the rest of the force can arrive mm-hmm. and deliver the staying power because there's really not a killing blow that is going to be brought the orientation on the army is totally different than where we were before this book came out i think it's going to take some folks a, a little bit of time but you know careful accounting of your disease points you know making sure that you have it spread across the board you know mm-hmm. consistently and regularly and then applying the appropriate amount of force in the appropriate places to crush flanks and remove support heroes is going to allow you to snowball at the end of games. This is not an army that's going to win, you know, battle round two, battle round three. This is an army that you're going to have to end up playing the whole five turns with, the whole five battle rounds with to be successful and win those games that, that you're talking about. And I think about some of the lists we see at the top. You know, I think about Sons, of course, that one mm-hmm. just jumps out. Or even uh, Thunder Lizards that have a lot of really large units, you know, with lots of wounds. Those are going to be really tough, I think, to deal with from here because you just don't do enough damage fast enough. You're doing a lot of damage, but it's very diffused in a lot of ways. And if you've got a giant army that can jump on objectives you're going to lose by turn three i mean in turn three you can't get them off of that objective it's going to be really tough for you to catch up in terms of points you're talking about it being a later you know later turn army that wins Mm. but you have to be able to move those big things off of objectives because that's the game and i just see it being a bit difficult for them to do that with some of the larger armies or with that army specifically yes i would agree with that notion and and again it's those are specific mm. examples i'm sure but, there are others but that... something like thunder lizards i don't think that you have a hard time with it okay because in the instances with those units they still only max out as counting as five models giants is a little bit different right you know right. They, oh yeah most of them are primarily going to be at 30 but they're still only 14-ish wounds. Mm-hmm. You're still going to do damage with your attacks. You know, you're going to do disease points over the course of the game. An army like that, most of this book doesn't have more than damage one in most of the profiles. And I understand what you're saying, too, because even the shooting, which is pretty hellacious sometimes from that Thunder Lizards, this whole army has a five-up ward save. Yes. It's going to really... You're going to be able to weather the storm yeah, quite a bit. it's going to lessen the impact of all that shooting and at the same time they're shooting at you you're getting closer every turn and there's nothing to say you got a four inch boot but you can also run you know so on average you're still going to be moving seven eight inches yeah Uh, and the demon side of this which can be a little bit hero dependent is a mm -hmm. lot less hero dependent than the nurgle book has ever been before Mm. and your ability to summon some stuff in gives you the replacement of those heroes that you may have lost in that endeavor Mm mm-hmm I think this book is right in that sweet spot of kind of where you want things to be. I don't think there's a single War Scroll that we read that is outright just bad. Mm. There are definitely ones that are less useful than others. (laughs) Sure. There are definitely ones that are better than others. I don't know. That seems perfect. There are some things here that are pointed probably a little on the higher side. You know, there are probably a couple units that are pointed a little bit on the lower side. But all that should come out in the wash, you'd think. Yeah. The fact that you have the ability to just have an army that is ward save across the board, you know, just like we're Night Haunts, an interesting comparison, right? Across the board, you ignore rend. Sure. Cool. Across the board here, Dan, your whole army, you just go, yeah, whatever your damage is, I'm taking a crack at it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. It's a damage five weapon. I rolled four fives. <laughs> Oops. Damage one. <laughs> You paid for damage five. Damage one. (laughs) Boop. There you go. I'm really looking forward to seeing this on the table. Yes. I'm really 
Not that I didn't enjoy the three different phases of Nurgle being good and seeing them all the time, but this feels like for the first time what I would imagine sure. Nurgle feels like as a faction. Great. Yep, I agree. You know, their slow army can play my slow army and we'll meet in the middle battle round three. And, <laughs> and see what happens. Exactly. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so that's it. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed that. We enjoyed prepping for this, really. It was really, really fun looking through this book. And I think it's clear that we both enjoyed the book and, and look forward to seeing what it's going to do. So with that, let us move on, Brendan, to Scriptorium. Yeah. Okay, let's start with new releases as always. So the first novel we have is for the Valpone Blue Bloods. Now, for those who aren't aware, the Valpone Blue Bloods are a unit that features um, predominantly in the Gaunt's Ghost books. Mm -hmm. They are kind of rival regiments because these Blue Bloods are just a bunch of jerks. They're a bunch of stuck-up jerks, and they think they're better than these scraggly little scout guys from the ghosts and there are some physical confrontations that take place there's other confrontations that are more deadly that take place because of this rivalry but that's who these guys are and basically it's a novel about them in the Sabbat worlds campaign i don't know that i'm going to read it because i do have this kind of you know built-in disgust for these guys because of some of the things in the story but i bet you it's going to be really interesting and their backstories fun too the next thing that's new is there's a crimson fist omnibus these are the guys who almost got wiped out the orcs basically dropped a rock on top of their chapter fortress and just wiped out a huge amount of their chapter and all their backup gear and everything else. And they had to fight the orcs for this. So they're kind of a dying chapter kind of a story, but interesting, very interesting stuff. And then exciting, because I have already started listening to it, is the seventh Gaunt's Ghost book, Sabbat Martyr, came out on audio. So I've been able to listen to this as I've hobbied and done other things around the house, and it's really, really great. It's very consistent in terms of the audio and the way the story is told and everything from the other six that I've listened to, and just a great story. Unfortunately, sad, because this when they say Sabbat Martyr, you think of the saint, you know, and that's the martyr, but it turns out that there are characters, as always in Dan Abnett's books, that sometimes Something not good happens to them by the end of the book mm-hmm. and you're like okay that's the real martyr because this is somebody who was beloved you know in the story so really really good stuff and great book anyway that's the new stuff what do we got for reads and stuff for you so i finished path of heaven <sighs> nice kind of a sad ending yeah yeah with yasugi and it's like oh man but it explains in warhawk why they spoke so reverently about some of the characters. Yes. Even the ones that at the end of Scars, I was like, why was that person important to this character between what happens here and what I just finished? Mm-hmm. So, right, so like what I've been saying on the show the last couple of times, right? The added context has been really cool. Warhawk is of the Siege of Terror books, the one that I now understand great. the most oh, of. That's great. I started listening to the Giannis biography by Aaron Fader. Sure. So I'm, you know, like an hour or so into that. I'm glad you could listen to that. That's really neat. Yeah. The author is the one that actually reads it. Oh, neat. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's not a professional audio drama reader or whatever, (laughs) but you can tell that like this was her piece and, you know, it was clearly a work of love and that, that she wants to tell the whole story, not just the... Not just the glossy bits of what 
some media entities have wanted to be able to portray, you know, Giannis as where they say, oh yeah, you know, he, you know, he came from poverty and this really unfortunate start of things. And, you know, look, you know, he worked hard and he made it to America and he was living his dream. And, and, you know, she's expressing in very clear terms what that level of not having. How much struggle it really was. Yeah. It's important to see that, right? Because that's the whole of the story. And one of the things that is prevalent in the NBA is you do have a lot of players who do come from poverty-based backgrounds, Mm -hmm. and they're using basketball as a vehicle to improve Mm -hmm. their position in life. And she interviewed a lot of his teammates and a lot of people. Mm. One of his teammates who is known from really coming from a not great place in the United States said to her, he's like, like, I thought I came from nothing. He came from nothing. Yeah. It explains and it spells out why this dude is the way he is. You Mm -hmm. know, why this city loves him the way that they do. And he's, in a lot of ways, not knowing as much as you do now Mm -hmm. about him, he still is very unique in terms of his personality in the NBA. He's much more down to earth and much more relatable, I think, than a lot of the players are. He knows... How quick it goes. How mm. Because his father was a professional soccer player mm-hmm. whose career ended like that. Wow. Nothing. You know, they, it's not that they had tons and tons and tons, but career-ending knee injury. That's it. Done. I could be that person. Yeah. I'm sure that's what he's thinking in his mind, too, mm. as he plays. And he's not even just here. Obviously, in his tour through the NBA championship, he talked about what this means to him, Mm -hmm. you know, to have one of his brothers on the team with him, Mm -hmm. you know, that now all but his oldest brother are professional basketball players, that they're going to be able to take care of their mom and each other. Like, it's really cool. And I'm really looking forward, you know, to getting into the rest of it. The stuff in the NBA part of it isn't necessarily the thing that's most interesting to me because all of that's really well documented. Right. But in terms of watches, I finished up Season three of Succession. Yes. Awesome, awesome, awesome final episode of the season. Great. Really good. I mean, the rest of the season was good, but that last episode was, is like quintessentially the interesting parts of that show. And then I've got Witcher season two on deck. Sure. I know you were talking about it a little bit yep. during our lunch break and some of the gruesomeness of <laughs> even just episode one. So I'm looking forward to over the holiday break here, just sitting down and binging that sucker out yeah just getting the watch in and and being done with it cool so dan how many times did you watch dune in the last couple weeks (laughs) i haven't actually (laughs) as difficult and impossible as that i just believe i have not watched it again okay so i'm four right now i can't guarantee that i won't get to watch it again but so no one took you up on the offer nobody else (laughs) email you and ask for a personal showing of Uh, that's hilarious no reads i finished up wolf time i'm gonna say having read many of gav thorpe's books this is one of his best okay i just loved the way he portrayed the process of an old guard let's call it an old guard chapter you know one of the original loyalist chapters going through the process of accepting primaris marines Mm. especially the wolves of Fenris, because they have this really weird process that they, you know, they get their young bloods up and uh, through the ranks. And it was just the tension between Gilliman and Logan, 
when he came there, it was just like, this is my chapter. This is Russ's chapter. I'm not going to take these things that you brought. You brought this ship so we can make more of them. And it was just so cool. It wasn't confrontation, but you could just tell it was difficult for both of them. Because Gilliman had to be so humble. He could have just told him, you know, and roared at him. But he was like, no. And then Logan did his thing. And the other thing was a Primaris who was every one of these gray shields who came started coming back to their home chapters have fought and died you know for years they've been fighting the enemies of mankind and then they come back to these kind of home base chapters and the chapters are like what are you doing here like there's this resentment and this guy Gaius was the the one primaris and he just lit off on one of these space wolves and just like who the hell do you think you are? If it wasn't for me and my Primaris Marines in that last battle, you'd all be dead. Like, we get nothing from you. It was just really cool. You could just hear him ranting at this guy. And then what he did after that was just like, whoa, he just did that. It was really cool. And then the resolution was very smooth and what you knew was kind of going to happen, but it was neat how the transition took place. And so one of Gav's best books, and I really, really enjoyed it. But the other book I'm starting to read is called War in the Shallows. Okay. Remembering that, yes, I am that ancient. I grew up with the Vietnam War being very much a part of my life, considering my dad went there three times and so forth. One of the things as a kid I really aspired to doing was I always had the desire to join the Navy and become part of the Riverine Navy in Vietnam, which was fighting in the rivers in the Mekong Delta, not the open blue water Navy. I'd always thought that would be such a cool thing to do at that time. And they also had a coastal- It's a super aspect. dangerous job. It, it was, and but I never all this time understood what was really going on and how it was the first time since the Civil War that the American Navy had actually conducted rivering operations. Like 100 years, they hadn't done any. So that made it really unique. And just the way, the history of how it came about, what they ended up doing, the impact that they had on the war is just so underreported. You just have no idea. I didn't realize how many of the North Vietnamese supplies and reinforcements came along the coast of South Vietnam and that they established this coastal patrol, kind of like the blockade in the Civil War trying to keep the raiders out, this developed. Yeah, the, the Anaconda plan. Right, and literally they had Coast Guard ships that were serving in Vietnam. You never think about that. You think Coast Guard is always here, you right. know, doing lighthouses and stuff. <laughs> but it's just fascinating the way he writes. It's really, really cool. Hey. And he writes about the officers who had to serve in these units and where they came from and things. Really, really cool book. So, And it's something I can personally relate to because he even talks about the Seabees and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's cool. The dad was doing that. Anyway, that's my read. It's a current read. It's a pretty big book. In terms of listens, I finished Rise of the Ranger, so I will definitely be listening to the second book there. Sabbath Martyr is what I'm listening to currently. And then Watches. Wheel of Time has come out, and it's just not something for me. It's kind of like with uh, Cowboy Bebop, you know, live action remake. Mm. And I just say the same thing I said before. If you enjoy Wheel of Time on Amazon, then you keep enjoying it. And if that's something you have really, you know, taking the time and it's something that you're having a good time with, go for it. Just something that I didn't enjoy that much after the first couple episodes. I did, however, start season six of Expanse. I love that show. It is so good. And I didn't realize, Brendan, I had not watched the last two episodes of season five. I went back to my oh. archive and I'm like, 
Wait, I haven't watched those yet. Drummer, Amos was always my favorite character, but now this character called Drummer, she is now one of my top favorite characters because she's really come to prominence in the last part of the last season and now, and very, very cool. Witcher, you talked about that, is back. In that first episode, Sydney and I were just like shell-shocked by the end of this thing. We're going, like, what just happened? Things happened so quickly. It was really good. And then Arcane. You should watch Arcane. Okay. I'm telling you. And now, people are like, it's based on a video game. You'd never know that. Yeah, who cares? The animation reminds me, Brendan, I've talked about Love, Death, and Robots you know, before. There's a couple of episodes of that that this animation is very similar to. But just the world and the character development, the story, it is just so amazing. Yeah. And who cares I, if it's based on a video yeah. game? Most stories are based on real life, and real yeah. life sucks. <laughs> and so does the life of the people in this. Yeah. But it's very, very good, and the characters are great. I love Jinx. She is... I always try to pick a favorite when I'm watching, and she's definitely my favorite. Really, really cool. So that's it for everything. All right. All righty. Onward, my friend. Let's uh, go ask some questions. All right. I always give you the choice. Yeah, I'll go first. Okay. No sports questions, though, Dan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Wait a minute. No, no sports, sports questions. questions. Not this episode. Okay. Uh, but two non-Warhammer okay. questions. Okay. Typical questions, right, normally? Mortals or demons? Mortals, for sure. Okay, why? I love the heroes. I love the Blight Lords. I, I, you talked about, yeah, let's do a fly army. Yeah. yeah. I, I could do a fly army, no problem. <laughs> Fly Army would be very cool. So cool. And again, the Glotkin is just so fun. Yeah, love it. Okay. Mortals for sure. I think you probably answered my next two questions inadvertently. Oh. Glotkin or Great Unclean Ones? Glotkin, for sure. Even with the points consideration. Yeah, I think so. And the other thing that you could argue for the Great Unclean One because you can give it stuff because it's not named. And there's a big advantage to that. We know there is. Do I think the Glotkin's worth the extra 200 points? I think he's too much. I talked about that already. But I just think having that model on the board and some of the things he can do would make the army very unique. And so that's why I think he's really cool. Blight Lords or drones? Now, this is difficult for me because I thought about using the drones in a certain way. I talked about that. I think Blight Lords, just because I like the way they look <laughs> compared to the little guys. I mean, Plague Bearers on flies are cool, but... But these big, hulking monstrosities that are just kind of... beefy dudes. They're almost propped up. <laughs> oh, they're on... so cool. Blight Kings on flies? Yeah, I'll buy that any day. And, you know, I've always tried to do this side-by-side with them. Points and wounds and all those other things. Blight Lords, for sure. Okay. And then during our lunch break, you're talking about, you know, how much you really like that Henry Cavill, you know, brings character to life on the screen in The Witcher. Yeah. Who would you like to play you in a movie (laughs) or TV series? Oh my God, man. That's not fair. I mean, while you're thinking about that, Cindy, who should play Dan in, in a movie? I don't know. I think Willem Dafoe. Okay. Yeah, because I've seen him play some really interesting characters. And a lot of times, I mean, most people don't consider me a rebel, but I am. And I've always been. Some of your stories from your younger years <laughs> I was pretty are definitely compelling for that case. <laughs> I've seen him play that kind of character. But there's also something like inside of him. There's always something good. You know, like I think about the John Wick movie where he was an assassin, but he made the right choices. It cost him in Mm -hmm. the end but i just like him as an actor and i like the roles he's played so yeah 
I think I could do that. I could watch me, Willem Dafoe as me, and, and be okay with that. All right. That's a great question, though. Thank that was, you. That was an awesome question. So this is probably our last show for the year, realistically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So what's been your favorite thing from 2021? It can be hobby, it can be personal, whatever. I think in terms of Sigmar actually winning an award at a reasonably sized event when mm-hmm. I won Best Sports at our event down in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. That just meant so much. I, I tell you, people who voted for me and, and who were there, you just don't know how much that meant to me. I don't need to win another award. That was just so cool, man. I, I appreciate the Toberlones. Believe me, pants guys. I, I love you guys. But that was just such a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I think personally, having my wife finally be retired, especially after the last couple of years, seeing how Stressful. work has been. Yeah. It was so great to see her hanging out the last month or so, not having to deal with work. It, it's really been wonderful for me. Well, in so. 35 years, I can join you guys. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll still be around. <laughs> that was the best thing I think about the year. Great. Well, those are my five. Okay. Awesome. Those are a couple of great questions there, man. Those are good. All right, so the first question is a Sigmar question. Great Unclean One or Rodigus? I think the Great Unclean One for the reason that you were talking about, where you can give command traits and you can give artifacts to have that Great Unclean One serve a specific purpose. Rodigus isn't bad, but I think the opportunity to be great exists in Great Unclean Ones more than it exists with Rodigus. Okay, that's fair. Blight Kings or Blight Lords? Mm. Blight Lords, I think it, number one, those are units that haven't made the table very much since they've come mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And they're just so cool. Yeah. I think ultimately, Blight Kings are inherently more durable. Mm-hmm. You're getting a little bit more value out of them. But also, big guys on flies. <laughs> Why Have not? you considered that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great reasoning. I love that. In context of World War II only, not, okay. not before or after, who was the greater wartime leader? FDR or Churchill? Ooh, interesting. I think, well, because Churchill never really got to be a non-wartime leader. No, that's why I want to keep yeah. that. In the context of exclusively World War II, I would say it's Churchill because while FDR obviously did you know, quite a lot of things, mm-hmm. the war was never meaningfully fought on American soil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, obviously Pearl Harbor occurred, and he used that instance to you know, mobilize a sleeping giant. Churchill had to, for a prolonged period of time, convince a populace that surrender was not an option mm. in the midst of their lives being changed in moments with the what you know, they thought at the time was a meaningful, incredible threat that they were going to have to fight an invasion on... Mm-hmm. English soil, mm-hmm. whether or not it actually could have happened is a totally separate endeavor. The Germans didn't quite have the Navy yeah. to probably attempt that endeavor. That's a much harder thing to do than I think what FDR mm. was having to deal with. Yep. All right. So the next one is an RV question because I'm back on that thing. Cindy would tell you. I'm just... Okay. Anyway, if you had to have... <laughs> she seems so enthused. <laughs> no, no. She's not. You just look at her, rolling those eyes. If you were going to get an RV, 
Okay. Would it be one that you towed behind a fifth wheel or would it be a standalone RV? If you were going to start traveling, you could travel the country, Brendan. Would it be a towed RV or would it be one that was standalone? Such a foreign concept to me yeah. right now. Yeah. Number one, my Toyota Corolla, I don't think could <laughs> tow. If you had the means. Sure. You had a Ford 350 or something. Yeah. I'm retired and, yeah, you know. Yeah. The road awaits. I don't think I have any great passion for either. Okay. I guess yeah. if I'm being forced to choose, right, because this is the nature of the show, yeah. I'd, I'd take a towed vehicle. I don't okay. really have any desire to learn to drive a bus. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I know towing is different, but I have at least endured some level of understanding on okay. that. Yeah, that was an out there question, but it just came up. Sure. So, all right. So now, this is a sports question. Okay. At this point in the season, we're probably a little less than halfway through the NCAA season. Right now, we're getting there. Basketball? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We got a couple more months left before March Madness. You've got January and February. Feb- yeah. We're going to say at this point. Sure, okay. Let's just say this point in the season. For me, the season doesn't even really start until like around Christmas time when you start playing in conference games. Okay. But yeah, sure. Name the final four. Ooh. This is like you making me do this in football. <laughs> Name the final four right now, and then we'll compare this to your answer in mid-February, let's say. Oh. Can I get a moment to pull up the top 25? You can. Sure, okay. yeah. Let's take the time and inform yourself. Because I just watched Arizona get their behinds beaten last night okay at tennessee oh wow and before last night that would have absolutely have been one of my picks okay now the referees had quite a role to play in that game let's say but i didn't see it going that way oh interesting yeah okay so i think your final four one is going to be baylor baylor was really good last year i think they look really good again this year as much as I want to put my Boilermakers in the Final Four, I just can't do it. I know my heart is going to get broken somewhere along the line. Gonzaga, I think okay. is one of them. Sure. I think you're going to get Kansas in there. Okay. Yeah, that's reasonable. And I think, even though I saw their butts get kicked last night, I think Arizona is going to okay. be in there. Okay, that's your four. And we're going to try to remember to ask you this question later on and see how that changes. This year feels a little bit more wide open than it has in a while. And I think some of that has to do with a lot of these teams using extra years of eligibility from Mm. the COVID years to have more veteran teams than some of them would normally. Now, obviously, your teams that rotate in one one and dones and are super teams and are just doing that are always going to be good, right? Mm -hmm. That's the nature of it. But... Man, give me a team that's been playing together for like three, four seasons. Okay. And I'll show you a team that's going to do well. Okay. That's it. That's my five. Okay. So we're rolling into show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Well, starting off, we don't have any Sunday previews because they're announcements because it's not Sunday. Yeah, it's Thursday. (laughs) So we don't have to worry about that. So episode 88, definitely we're going to do the FAQ review. At a minimum. Yeah. And then other than that, we had talked maybe about doing some wish listing on a couple of armies that we think may or may not be coming out. Probably, as we discussed before the show, Brendan, probably the next book's going to be Death. We hope. We've gotten the other three already this year, but we're hoping the next one's Death. And I have my own specific hopes, but we'll see. And if... Depending on what comes up between now and then, we might do some wish listing listers. That's it. Otherwise, Brendan, again, thank you for the the gifts. They were awesome. Yeah, when I you. saw that goat on the t-shirt, it was like, oh my God, just like time, time tunnel. 
That was hilarious, man. Thank you, buddy, for being a part of this show uh, for the last year. You've just been so important to it, and and I know everybody appreciates having you on board, so I certainly do. I want to wish you and all the listeners uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, some blessed time off. And other than that, until next time, everybody take care, and we'll see you next time around. Bye! This is...